is House of Speed podcast. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen. I'm here with Milana Jevtik. How are you doing today, Milana? I'm great. How are you? I'm feeling awesome. It's the day after Thanksgiving here in the United States. It's the day that we're recording this episode, but you guys aren't hearing it for a couple of weeks. So last week, uh, Milana and I uh, uh, talked about, you know, what is Formula One, the basics, what we're going to do with this podcast. And so today we thought we would start our series of like overviews of F1 teams. What are you going to need to know? Who are the people that you're going to need to know uh, going forward if you're getting into Formula One racing, which is going to be a lot of fun for you. But it's a lot more fun if you know who all the people are, if you know all the teams and if you know some of the history behind it, you know, you can connect to it more emotionally and with more fun. So here we are. Um, Milana, do you want to tell the fine people uh, what it is that we're talking about today? So we're going to be uh, discussing more of a Mercedes overview. And we've brought up Mercedes because a lot of people know that Mercedes has been doing really well over the years. And a lot of people know the name Lewis Hamilton, which we will get into. And I'm going to just run it back to a little bit of history uh, regarding Mercedes and a few names that I'm going to bring into the picture so that you all are aware of where we're going to be heading with our first sort of analysis and review and um, just to provide a little more information and background on Mercedes itself. House of Speed is a podcast by F1 fans for F1 fans. Uh, we talk about F1 racing, Formula One racing, other forms of motorsport and everything we love about racing um, and, and Formula One racing in general. So if you are a lifelong fan, if you just discovered uh, or if you just discovered F1 through a Netflix drive to survive uh, or if you're just completely new to Formula One, you've never heard it before. We want to make a, a fun and friendly uh, a place for you. And uh, you are you are welcome here. So hit us with the hit us with a little bit of that old timey team history about the history of Mercedes and motorsport. You know, Gabrielle, I think it's really good that we're going to start with Mercedes and let's just run back a little bit of to a little bit more of the history on understanding, you know, how the Grand Prix started and where it was. And one of the greatest drivers of all time um, who eventually held five titles. So the first French GP took place in 1954 and in 1954, one of the best and most iconic drivers named Juan Manuel Fangio. He won for Mercedes and actually eventually continued to win four more titles. So he holds a record of five titles, world driver's titles under his belt. So for 1954 and 1955, Fangio also took place for Mercedes even the following year. So after 1955, Mercedes stopped racing due to an endurance race disaster, which is the endurance race is called Le Mans, which we can get into another time, which is also, you know, the background is also French there as well. 
Yeah, if you've seen Ford versus Ferrari, Le Mans is the race that they have in that. Different from Formula One, a lot of people see these these things and they get them a little bit confused. But endurance racing is different from F1, but it's also very cool. Absolutely. And I think a lot of F1 drivers jump into Le Mans to see how well they can do with endurance versus just a race, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of drivers have done that. So there there is a lot of like a, a, a crossover between the fans of both of those things, which is super cool. Absolutely. Um, but tell us more. Tell us more about what what happened. And so so Mercedes dropped out. Um, what what happened at Le Mans? Oh, there was a huge disaster. Um, one, I don't want to get too deep into it. That's something we can talk about in terms of Le Mans. But there was such a huge crash that it killed over eighty people that that were spectators actually watching the race and. Um, ultimately Mercedes was the one that pulled out from formula one as a result of this disaster. We can get into it down the road. Uh, but there was a big disaster that took place back in the fifties. And then they actually Mercedes returned to F1 in 1994 as an engine manufacturer. So if we can think from 1955 to 19, 1994, they had not been around. And then suddenly in, in 2010, Mercedes bought out the Braun GP team and they rebranded themselves as the Mercedes-Benz group. So, Gabrielle, what was the Braun GP team? If you can just give me a little bit more background on that, please. So, fun thing about being a Formula One fan, and if you're a new fan, this is a confusing thing that you will have to get used to, is that teams change their names all the time. Teams will uh, get a new sponsor and change their name. Teams will get bought by somebody else and change their name. It's not the same sort of thing as where, like... uh, you know, it, like I, I know the Denver Broncos just got sold recently, but they're going to stay the Denver Broncos because um, it, it's not the same sort of franchise model that you get in other sports. It's like there will be a racing outfit and the racing outfit will get either bought or sponsored by some company. And then that company will put their name on the racing outfit as like the main name of the team or the team will be named after the person who founded it. And then that person will sell the team to somebody else and they'll change the team name to whoever the other person that owns it in. So once getting your head around that is kind of a little bit annoying. So sometimes you look at old teams and you look at the old results for old races and you'll see, Oh, what's that team? I've never heard of that team. They're not racing anymore. What's going on here? So, Mercedes, uh, the team that is now called Mercedes, uh, based in, I think, Brackley or um, in the United Kingdom, um, in, in the Midlands in the United Kingdom, they started out life as the Tyrrell F1 team in uh, in like the, the early 70s, uh, late 60s, early 70s. And they were highly successful during this period. They won a number of constructors titles. They won uh, the championship in the, the Constructors' Championship in 1971. They won the Drivers' uh, Championship in 1971 and 1973 with uh, Sir Jackie Stewart, uh, who is another one of the most famous uh, racing drivers of all time, most famous F1 drivers, considered as one of the all-time greats. They were famous for... Uh, they were also famous because they made a Formula One car that had six wheels, uh, which is very novel... Uh, a, a, a very strange thing. They were the only one to kind of do this, but how did that come about? Six wheels. Does that mean every single 
other team had to have six wheels as well? Or was that just a car they were practicing on? No, it was a, a car. They raced with this car. What? They made... Okay, so this is a wild story. Uh, they So they figured out that um, this was like in the 70s when they were first figuring out the early days of drag and aerodynamics uh, of the cars. And they figured out that one of the biggest causes of, of drag, of aerodynamic drag on their car was the air going around the front wheels of the car. So what they decided to do was they said, well, if we make the wheels smaller, then we won't have this aerodynamic problem. But the problem with making your front wheels smaller is that you lose front end grip and your car can't turn as well. So what did they do to increase the the surface area of the tire that touches the road is they said, well, why don't we add two more front wheels? So they made a car with four front wheels that were like 10 inch wheels and then two back wheels. Uh, look it up. I, th- I think it's called the Tyrrell P34. If you, if you Google yes, it right now. Yes, I've heard now. of it actually. Yes. I've heard of that. I did not know that it was related to that many. Like I didn't know that that's how they looked at aerodynamics in that, at that time. They made this car. They made a car with six wheels. Very interesting. And it was a, a pretty decent car. I think they actually won races with it. But uh, eventually, I guess the, the technical direction that the sport went in made it not really possible for them to keep making that car. Uh, uh, it, it just didn't make sense for it after a couple of years. I think they couldn't get a, a tire manufacturer to make as good tires for it as everyone else was getting. So they were losing performance that way and abandoned the idea. Well, and also te- technically speaking, they're evolving, right? So once they found out they can do better, they just did better. So I love that. Yeah. And that's the spirit of the sport really. Um, but it, it, that's the sort of thing that, that we love to see in this sport is somebody will come up with some crazy technical innovation. So Tyrrell has been about that from the beginning. The 1980s were not so successful for this team. And um, they were caught cheating in 1984 by running their car under the weight limit of uh, like there was a minimum weight requirement that you had to run your car at. And so they were running their car light. And then during one of their pit stops where they would put more fuel in the car, they were also like filling up another tank on the car with water and lead shot. So they were putting water and lead shot into their car to make it heavier so that it would pass inspection. But they got caught and they got in trouble for that. Team continued to kind of struggle in the 1990s. And then in 1998, they sold it to British American Tobacco. Uh, Fun fact, if you go back into old uh, uh, F1 races, everything used to be paid for by tobacco companies and every car used to have uh, tobacco sponsorship. So was not super weird for a tobacco company to own a racing team back in the day. Uh, But they sold the Tyrrell team to British American Tobacco. It became British American Racing. They were using Honda engines. And this team was mostly terrible, except for in 2004 when they were kind of good. They managed to come in second place. Uh, but that was also the year when Ferrari was so dominant that it didn't matter how good anyone else was. And those were that was that was that are we talking Michael Schumacher days? If people. Yeah, those are that. Got it. That was like the the peak of Schumacher dominance was like 2004. Do, do I say B.A.R. or is it bar? Just either way. Listener. OK, so. I've heard both. Go ahead. Um, it was B.A. It was B.A.R. And then I think they passed a law that said that tobacco companies couldn't advertise anymore in a lot of countries, or they passed a rule that says that you can't advertise for tobacco in Formula One racing anymore, uh, which tobacco companies still advertise in Formula One racing. They've just gotten around it somehow, but we'll get into that later. Uh, In 2004, 
uh, Jensen Button, who was who was one of the drivers for BAR, uh, managed to finish on the podium several times. Cool guy. Remember that name. He'll come back later. In two, yeah, so in 2006, the advertising regulations changed and they completely banned any advertisement for tobacco products. So British American Tobacco sold the team to Honda, who were making their engines. Um, but then they're like, OK, well, now we have a full team. And it operated as Honda Racing F1 from the years 2006, 2007 and 2008. This is the fun part because uh, the Honda team was not very good. They're they're kind of mid. Uh, so when you say mid, when you say mid, what does that mean for for um, the entire grid when we're looking at all the cars? How would we uh, divide? Like if there's in my mind, I think of like three sections. I think of like the top ones. Then mid would be the hopefully they get ahead. And then there's how do you call it the last. Um, the last the back markers that would be the back markers. yeah there's like oh, okay. the front runners there's the midfield and there's the back marker. hold on let me look it up uh in 2006 they finished fourth in the constructors championship which is pretty good that's not too bad um it's not like they're not like winning races or anything but you know they're they're doing all right in 2007 where they fit oh in 2007 they finished eighth which is kind of bad yeah and so in 2008 they finished ninth out of 11 teams of course one of the teams only competed the first like four rounds or whatever and and which team was that super aguri which they're not even on the grid anymore but yeah they they finished they finished ninth um out of 10 teams basically uh technically 11 but mainly 10 teams um and so they were kind of a bad team. And then by halfway through the season, through the 2008 season, they basically just switched over entirely into working on the car for 2009. But here's the fun part. So in the fall of 2008, there is a financial crisis, start of the Great Recession. We can all remember that. Formula One is a ludicrously expensive sport. It is a luxury sport. It's not really a profitable venture like other sports franchises are. It at this time at least, existed primarily as a marketing exercise for like automakers or tobacco companies or energy drink companies or, fa- or fashion companies. And so Honda, uh, uh, the, the one of the largest automakers in the world, basically looks at their financial future and they see kind of a bleak outlook. Uh, and they're trying to trim the fat. So Honda decides to pull the plug on their Formula One operation. So this is over Christmas break in 2008, end of 2008. So by this time, their car for the 2009 season had already been designed. Ross Braun uh, was the team principal of the of the Honda team. He was basically the, the boss of the, the Honda F1 team. Honda, the, the, the automaker, sold the team to Ross Braun for the price of one pound because they just wanted to get rid of it. This team had no sponsorships. They had very little money. And because Honda was their engine supplier and was pulling the plug on their Formula One operation, they had no engine to go in the car. They had a car designed, but they had no engine to go in it. So they were able to secure an engine deal with Mercedes to go racing. And they signed Jensen Button and Rubens Barrichello. And they showed up to their preseason testing with a white car, that had a very basic livery, almost no sponsors. Uh, the team was named Braun GP. However, the car had been designed to exploit a technical loophole in the aerodynamic rules 
that made it much faster than any other car. This was actually the source of conflict because many of the other teams claimed that the loophole would have made the car illegal or that they weren't allowed to follow the loophole, but it was eventually reached a, a settlement that the that the Honda Braun car was legal. And it was much, much, much faster than any other car on the grid for at least the first part of the season. Um, and they were able to hold off a late season charge from Red Bull, who had redesigned their car midseason to exploit the same loophole and win both a constructors championship and a driver's championship. Uh, Jensen Button was the driver who won the championship for them. Very cool. Which which year uh, is this? Two thousand nine. Nine. Okay, got it. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah. Um, also, what, I wanted to just ask you specifically when you say the word livery, what does that mean specifically to when we, we're talking about F one? So that's a great question because that's a word that you're thrown around a all lot. the time. Liver- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the race livery is like just the the design of what the car looks like. So if it has. Uh, Ferrari is always known for running a red livery. It, it's just like the the outward appearance of the car, like how it's painted. So the Ferrari runs a red livery. Livery. Um, there are some like classic liveries that you think of. Like there will be a sponsor that will come into the sport, and they will uh, as as a condition of their deal with a team, they will say you have to run our liveries. I'm thinking right away the stickers that they put on the cars, just to make it very simple. Um, like for example, with, um, yeah, so McLaren, you just saw Marlboro. So to me, that's a livery, right? So yeah, we have the colors. Yeah. We have the colors. It's just like, what kind of, uh, stickers are they going to put on it? And what are they going to add? The looks maybe a little different, or, um, if they get another sponsor, where are they putting that sticker on the car? Basically, it's almost like real estate on the car is what I would call livery. It's like, what that's, color? Uh, Does that make sense a little? Yeah, that's. I think that's a good way of putting it. One of the famous examples of this is um, McLaren. Another McLaren example. Last year, I think at the Monaco Grand Prix, they ran a golf livery, which is a classic sort of livery. It's blue and orange. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you'll see that if you go back and look up golf livery, you'll see that on like classic endurance racing cars like you'll see that on porsches but mclaren ran with that sponsorship and with that livery uh during the monaco grand prix of 2021 which is super fun so basically what i'm trying to say here is that the Braun car showed up to winter testing with no sponsors it was a white car and it was very basic and they ended up winning a championship in a car that had very few sponsors on it and and very little money. It's really a, a, a Cinderella story there. So that's really where the team started to see a lot of success uh, in the more recent years. Yeah, at the end of the season, uh, Ross Braun sells the team to Mercedes Benz. Uh, it that was in 2010 when Mercedes bought out Braun GP team. Is that yeah? Right? Okay, then they rebranded it as Mercedes Benz Group. Yeah, and so they signed um, this promising young driver named Nico Rosberg, and then they brought out of retirement seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher, who had won many championships. I think he retired at the end of 2006, and then 2007, 2008, and 2009, he wasn't racing. Came out of retirement in 2010 to race for Mercedes. And from 2010 to 2013, they were a decent team, but not really like a title contender. They won some races here and there, but they, um, you know, but they they weren't like a, a winning team. Um, and they, you know, they had a car that was usually good at qualifying really well, but when it came to running in the race, the the 
team would kind of fall back a bit um, and their their race pace wasn't as fast as their qualifying pace. At the end of 2012, Michael Schumacher retired and to replace him, Mercedes signed Lewis Hamilton mm. uh, from McLaren. Lewis had driven for McLaren from 2007 until from his rookie year in 2007 and through the 2012 season. And then in 2013, he signed for Mercedes. Mercedes was decent in 2013, uh, 2013 not amazing. But in, from 2014 to 2020, Mercedes won both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championship in what I think is an incredible display of dominance over the sport. Lewis won six of these championships. Rosberg won one of these championships. Nico Rosberg won in 2016. This uh, It was a super contentious title battle between Hamilton and Rosberg. We're going to do a whole episode about that uh, at some point in the future because that's going to be a lot of fun because they grew up as friends and then became title rivals. Uh, so a, a, a great story there. And then Nico Rosberg wins the title, retires. Uh, Hamilton is then paired with Valtteri Bottas from Finland. And in 2021, Mercedes won the Constructors uh, Championship, but Lewis failed to secure his eighth Drivers' Championship, losing to Red Bull and Max Verstappen in what I will... I think described now as controversial circumstances. I think that's a good way of putting it. I would love to do an episode about how much of a shit show 2021 was and, and why still everyone... is. People still have like PTSD oh from that race, to be honest. People <laughs> still talk about Abu Dhabi 2021 like it's the worst thing to ever happen. Yeah. And quite honestly, it was it, it was it was truly an race. Um, in 2022, though. They introduced new aerodynamic regulations. F1 introduced new aerodynamic regulations for how uh, the cars are designed, how they generate their their downforce, their aerodynamics. Mercedes wasn't as good as Red Bull or Ferrari, and they lost the Constructors' Championship for the first time since 2013. But their new driver, George Russell, who replaced Valtteri Bottas for the, the 2022 season, he did secure his first ever race win. So that's really fun. Very cool for George. Very cool for Mercedes. There is a lot to like about this team. And if, if you're an F1 fan, there are a lot of reasons to support this team. And so we're going to go into those right now. Um, Milana, how would you describe the character uh, or like essence of the Mercedes team? What would you what would you describe them as? Well, I would first go back a little more to understand how successful they were in terms of if we if we keep Fangio in mind, Fangio won two titles under Mercedes. So Mercedes won eight consecutive constructors championships, to be fair. And they also won nine world drivers championships because of Fangio. So if we're going to look at Rosberg, Fangio and Lewis, they're actually a very successful team. And in 2014, they required usage of turbochargers and hybrid engines which played in their favor to eventually become one of the most successful F1 teams. So that's something that once I understood the history, I'm going, okay, so then who is this guy Toto? Everyone keeps talking about Toto and he is the team principal for Mercedes, but he also has equity in the team. So he himself is an entrepreneur. And when he was approached uh, to, to be a team principal for the team, he himself said, I'm not going to be doing this unless I own, I have some ownership of the team itself. So he got a 33% cut of ownership for Mercedes 
for the F1 Mercedes team, which is incredible to begin with in terms of business. He took care of all, or he takes care of all Mercedes-Benz motorsport coordination and activities. So if we're looking at Mercedes-Benz as an F1, we can go into other motorsport under Mercedes. He's also, he has a lot of people working on those. Total Wolf is a cool guy. He's Austrian. He talks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's very tall. He's extremely handsome. And uh, uh, he seems like he is a very competent business manager. Absolutely. Is how I would describe him. Extremely, extremely competent business-wise. He knows he holds a 35% stake. So it's a lot of it, you know, is going to fall on him if they don't do well. There's a sense of humor that comes along with him as well. And then the team itself, I feel, has a a little bit of a corporate feel to it, but it also has a very leader type of, due to him and his leadership, it goes from leadership that spreads down to every single person on the team team with the same mindset moving forward. So there's a essence of um, a little bit of humor if we're going to be looking at it during present time. If we look at their social media, they get they get pretty funny with their posts. They're a little more entertaining, but at the same time, they know what they're capable of. And he joined Merck, sorry, he joined Mercedes in 2013. And since he joined as the CEO and team principal, the team has had a winning percentage of 58%, which is absolutely insane. I mean, I think that number is extremely high um, for one team specifically. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. That is a wild that is a wild statistic. No, I like if I were describing the character of the, like, have you ever you've you've had corporate jobs before? Yes. Right. Yeah. I've I've had corporate jobs before too. Like and if somebody says that they're working a corporate job, that can go numerous ways. Like you can either think, oh, this is a, a job for a corporation where they just really don't give a shit about the people who work for them. They like for like the benefits, they'll really cheap out on them, you know, for if you need vacation time, then they'll like send that through three people before they get you approved. And they'll really just like, you know, like we've all had jobs like that. And then if there are also corporate jobs where you can tell that they're just like, no, our greatest asset to this company is the people who work for us and we need to treat them properly. And Mercedes seems like they're corporate in that way. Like they're corporate in that they're a very well-run machine, but they're not like grinding the people. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel that there's a boss. I feel that it's a leadership, you know, there's something so beautiful about the way that they run the team, I think. And that can be seen through their drivers ultimately and the cars that they've created. And, of course, no wonder they've won so many um, championships, right? So yeah. that's a testament to how incredibly um, they've been, you know, they've been learning from Toto and how Toto prepares, I would say, every single person that's working for them. And they did have a lot of money to work with. They had a lot of sponsors and these sponsors wanted to work with them. When you have so many sponsors coming at a team, you know that you're going to get a lot of views, a lot of excitement around it. And the assets are the two um, drivers, right? So I think the thing that we discussed about Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton that we will talk about in the future in another episode, there was some sort of excitement, intensity, people want to see crazy rivalries. But the fact that it was in the same team happening like simultaneously and they have 
you know, allowed them to race instead of, you know, sometimes they really listen to team orders and stuff like that, but sometimes they just let them race. Uh, the fact that they were able to do that is like, it's open-ended. So it's almost like, we trust you guys, go for it. Whatever you need to do, race. So I love that you they love to see that. Yeah, it's you trust. You love to see that. So the drivers and Toto are most captured on camera, usually with reactions from Toto based on whether um, his team is doing well or not, or the drivers are doing well or not. And a lot of his... I mean, you can see a lot of animation on his face during races. He likes to bang on the table with his fist. He likes to get up and throw his um, head headset on, you know, like break it. He he gets so involved and you can see the expressions on his faces. You can read them right away. Um, what is it that if you were a new F1 fan, what would make what, what would you say would be a thing that would make somebody want to be a Mercedes fan? Pitch, pitch me on being a Mercedes. Are we fan. talking about present time? As yeah, if, yeah, if pre- watched, present time. If okay. I'm if I'm new, if I'm if I'm just picking up F1 now, why should I pick Mercedes as my favorite team? Well, first and foremost, we've discussed the leadership. Second, the name Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher. Like those two names are typically very well known in the sport. Even if you don't know anything about F1, you've certainly heard of those names. Currently, with Lewis Hamilton and the amount of winnings they've had under Lewis Hamilton, right away, there's curiosity. I would I would say I had curiosity to see who the, who this guy is and what is he doing and what's so special about him. And then that that curiosity led me to understand the drivers a little more and then to go deeper into what's behind those drivers because it's a massive team behind them. And the allegiance, I would say, has a lot to do with not only the driving and the competitiveness of um, the drivers, but there's a certain hope for young children, for example, with Lewis Hamilton, for example. We'll get into that. But I would say he is a main factor in the sense that he grew up from very humble beginnings and he is showing people and inspiring younger people even that their dreams can literally come true. Um, And there's something so hopeful about that story, which is real life. It's not just, it's not made up and the details behind it are fascinating Um, that there's a constant hope behind Mercedes. And with that comes a lot of activism with what Mercedes is capable of presenting to the media and the fans. And with that comes Lewis Hamilton. So Lewis Hamilton has driven major campaigns, not necessarily having to speak about them, but he wears T-shirts or shirts that say certain things that he is very passionate about. So technically, you don't even have to hear him speak about it. You can read it on his shirt, for example, um, like when he puts it on after he wins or, you know, when the when the race is over, you can see what he's passionate about. And then also the amount of social media that that goes towards Mercedes and Lewis himself that starts um, sort of overlapping uh, within certain what would you call them? Um, movements. Yeah. So within certain yeah, movements yeah, yeah. that take place. So that that's what I would say. Yeah, so uh, I think in the second half of the episode, we're going to talk more detail about Lewis Hamilton. But I think one of the interesting things about this is that because, you know, I know that we're a lot of us are used to seeing athletes advocate for social causes. Right. I mean, we see it all the time. We see it in basketball, football, uh, uh, soccer, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, 
that didn't really used to be a thing in Formula One. Just because, I don't know why, I think it's really to do with the audience of the sport where the audience, at least for many years before, tended to be- Before which? Are we talking before Drive to Survive? Yeah, like before Drive to Survive, because you know, I know last week we talked about how the audience for this sport is way different than it used to be. Mm -hmm. But it used to be like old dudes who were into F1. They didn't really want to hear about this social change message. They just wanted to see cars go fast. And it was a little bit reactionary a lot of times. And the people who would go to races, you would expect them to like Bernie Eccleston, who is a guy that we will definitely talk about. Um, very weird and sketchy dude who used to run F1. He was famously quoted as saying the only people who I want to be going to F1 races are people who can afford a Rolex watch. Ooh, boy. And wow. Yeah. I did not know that quote. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's that's a quote from him. So that's the the fan base of the sport previously. And now it's much younger. It's much more diverse. It's, you know, it's it's more fun. More inclusive so as well. More it's inclusive. more inclusive. Yeah. But Lewis Hamilton, I'm, I'm when he was driving for McLaren, McLaren during that era of time, not really so much now, but during that era of time, uh, they were very conservative about how their drivers could present themselves. Like Lewis would not be, I, I don't know if it wasn't allowed to, but that he would be discouraged from getting tattoos that were visible. And it was very corporate feeling, like extremely corporate feeling. And there's even teams now that kind of take on that same sort of thing where they're not going to have their drivers using the team's platform for self-expression, something like that. For self-expression yeah, or, or expression of, of any of any cause or, or movement or something mm -hmm. like that. But in 2020, when there were all of those protests going on after the the police in Minneapolis killed George Floyd, and there were all of those protests going on in America and, and uh, in other places, Mercedes, uh, who have traditionally run their car using a silver livery, so the, so the car was silver, uh, they came out to start their season um, in in June of 2020 in a car that was black. So they, they had a, an all black livery and that was uh, partially motivated by supporting black lives matter, which is not something that you would have expected to see an F1 team do maybe 10 years before that. So if that's the sort of thing that, that you're interested in and you think is cool. And I think that's kind of cool. Maybe Mercedes is the team for you. Uh, and, and so if you like that, Mercedes is the team for you. Other cool thing about the team is that they, you know, their current driver lineup, if you're looking for a team that's going to be really exciting going forward and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, this is a team to pick because they're going to win races. Uh, they're they're a, a, a good team. They're a strong team and they operate on a high level with car design, with uh, with strategy, leadership. with all these other things. <laughs> Yeah, with leadership, leadership team leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is huge. And they have a really compelling driver lineup. They have Lewis Hamilton, who is, I think, the most successful driver in Formula One history. And then they have George Russell, who is one of the up and coming talents of Formula One. And he's a guy that in the future, people expect him to be one of the best of the best. Very talented guy. And we'll, after we uh, have our break, we're going to go into greater detail about Lewis and about George. I guess, what would you, would you say that there's any drawbacks to picking Mercedes as your favorite team? You think? For me, I would say, okay, I would say get ready for backlash from a lot of 
um, yeah. Red Bull fans. I would say, yeah, I would say own it as a sport, your passion for the team, but don't get too involved. Like people have done death threats against the drivers for certain things that have happened, which we'll get into. Um, people have gotten racist. People have gotten abusive online. Uh, I can do very, very well without all of that stuff um, because of the drivers that they have. Uh, it, there's there's something going on that's really changing as a result of all these move, movements that are taking place and the passion behind Lewis Hamilton. I mean, even mentioning just like tattoos or his, he has a lot of piercings as well. He's gotten such a strong relationship with Toto that they're almost hand in hand with how they're approaching. Like how you just said the livery, like the car came out completely black. It, I mean, stunning. And under the it's lights. It's a cool looking livery. My goodness. It's, it's, it, yeah, under look the at the lights. Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for, it, it's a very cool looking F1 car. It's just all black. It's got the, the teal stripe on it. Yeah. It's just all black with a teal. It was a very cool looking F1 car. What's the, uh, what did they call it, Gabrielle? The yeah, their team. It was the the W eleven. Yeah, was it yeah. the W eleven or yep. the W twelve? I think it was the, the W eleven. Wait, are we the what's, W? What's the worst one now? Is this W? The worst or, one, I think, it's the W thirteen. That's such 13. a bad luck yeah. number. They're done yeah. with that one. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Yeah, like the, that the, one. this year's this year's Mercedes car is not as as good. But yeah, they they went back to using a silver livery in in twenty two, which I don't think looks as good. I really liked the black livery. I thought it was really cool. Um, in my opinion. The reasons why you might not want to pick Mercedes as your favorite team if you're a new fan. It's a little bit like getting into basketball and saying, oh, well, I'm going to become a Golden State Warriors fan. It's a little bit like getting into uh, a football right now, like NFL football and saying, I want to be a, a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Like you're picking a team that's really good. And there's nothing wrong with picking a team that's really good, especially if there's only 10 teams on the grid. But people are going to be like, are, really, are you like, have you been with them through the hard times? Like, you know, or are you just like there because you want to see race wins? And that that that's kind of the biggest drawback for me. It's a bit of an obvious choice, but it's also an obvious choice because it's a good choice. And maybe they think you're just, you know, you're just going along with the crowd. And that's where the backlash will come in, right? From like, quote unquote, experts yeah. of Formula One. So that's something to be prepared for. If you don't know much about F1 yet, just be prepared for a lot of, you know, um, a lot of interesting backlash and uh, conversation that happens and dialogue that happens online and even in the media. So I would say that's uh, that's one thing that we can do without. Is there anything else that's that really stands out to you? Gabrielle? No, I, think I just think it's worth saying. Yeah, Mercedes' biggest rival right now is Red Bull. Mm -hmm. I mean, generally, it's, it's been Mercedes' biggest rival has been Red Bull. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's some bad blood that goes back a couple years between those two teams. Um, final question before we go to break. Do you think F1 would be F1 without Mercedes at this point in time? Oh, I think with, I cannot imagine it without Toto on the grid, man, like as the team principal and CEO and having Lewis be a part of it. And now George Russell, I mean, that's, it's like the top team that every driver 
would have wanted to be a part of in a way, apart from Ferrari, I guess Ferrari goes hand in hand. We'll discuss that later with Formula One and the history of Formula One and all that. For me, it would be a little tough to see it without Mercedes because right away in the package of Mercedes are all these wins with Fangio with and with Lewis. Like those are the the big wins that we have, you know, um, even the what we discussed as the driver's championship and constructor's championship. It, it would be hard to not see such an incredible team on the grid and for everything that the team stands for. It would be hard for me. But... I mean, how, how do you feel about that? Do you do you think it has to be on them? Hmm. It goes back to 1954. Right. But they also weren't on the grid for a number of years. Yeah. It's not for me. It's not to the level of if Ferrari left, but it's also not to the level. Of, but like right now, Mercedes is one of the marquee teams of this sport. Mm-hmm. It's like as losing speak, Mercedes as we speak. Yeah. yeah. Losing Mercedes would be a major, major, major blow because they're not just, you know, one of the best teams. They're also an engine supplier to not just themselves, but three other teams on the F1 grid. Three other teams use Mercedes engines in their cars, you know, they're and they've just been so successful recently that seeing them go would be a a massive shock. I think would be uh, it, it, it would be definitely to the detriment of the sport itself. That's that's not a risk of happening. So that's not a risk of happening right now. <laughs> no, I, no, I wouldn't say that's okay. a risk of happening. But just like there's there, I mean, there's always controversy around this sport, but it's it's Mercedes is they're they're too they're too successful. They're too ingrained with how this sport is. So uh, why don't we go take a pit stop? And then we will come back and we will talk about Mercedes two drivers, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. And we've got some hardcore fans of both of those drivers to come and talk to us about why they love their favorite drivers so much. So that's going to be really exciting. I'm really excited to do that. uh, And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Yes, sir. We are back. Back from our break, we've just had our pit stop, uh, which uh, they changed our tires in uh, 2.06 seconds, which is a pretty good pit stop time. We'll get into that later at some point. Uh, But we are here to talk about the Mercedes drivers, the two guys right now. If you were to become a fan of Mercedes, these are the guys that you'd be supporting. There's two of them, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. They're both from Great Britain. They both race under the Union Jack. So if you hear, so if they win a race, then you will hear God Save the King. Uh, uh, Milana, do you want to introduce Lewis or do you want me to? Uh, let's let's have you do a little bit more on Lewis Hamilton and I'll jump okay. into it with uh, Russell a little more. Okay. Well, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. Lewis Hamilton, like what the, he's so much bigger than the sport of Formula One racing and really I think the reason why we decided to do Mercedes as our first team introduction episode is because Lewis Hamilton drives for Mercedes. And that's the one that people know, like, because like, what can you say about Lewis Hamilton that hasn't already been said about Serena Williams or LeBron James or like Tom Brady? He's like many people uh, in Formula One consider Lewis Hamilton to be the greatest racing driver of all time. 
And there is definitely a compelling argument to be made in favor of that. He has the most race wins of any driver ever. He has the most pole positions of any driver ever. He has the most laps led of any driver ever. He's tied for most driver's championships ever with Michael Schumacher. Statistically speaking, Lewis Hamilton is the most successful Formula One driver of all time. And he's only he's he just turned 37. So he I mean, yeah. So his 20s and 30s, like, I mean, he's had a he's had a ball. <laughs> he's uh, he's he's really a fantastic driver. He is so talented. He, he He's just a natural talent. Um, his so he's from Stevenage, UK. Uh, he did not grow up rich. Uh, a lot of F1 drivers grow up rich. Lewis did not grow up rich. So why do they grow up rich? What's the what's the need for that? Is it um, cause just because it takes so much money to get into F1 to like karting, mm-hmm. you know, doing go karts is a really expensive sport. Doing Formula three and Formula two is extremely expensive. Uh, and a lot of times if you want to do that, you have to basically self fund. Um, so hopefully like your parents have money to buy you a cart while you're seven years old or something like that. And those cars, yeah, and they have how much money can they to go for? take you. A, I mean, I don't know how much they cost, but they also have to be, there also has to be somebody taking you around the country on weekends to do racing. Like it's not an easy thing to do if you're, if you don't come from means and Lewis didn't come from means, but he was just so good that he was better than everybody else. And it's just crazy that like he is so talented that he had to get through so much adversity and actually even to just get to F1. Um, So he when he first started, actually, he was into racing remote control cars and then he got into doing go karts. His favorite driver was Ayrton Senna uh, when when he was a kid, Uh, same as Moana's dad's favorite driver. So that's very cool. Um, Maybe maybe secretly mine, too. Yeah, maybe secretly <laughs> yours. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about we'll that. We'll talk about I, that. He, <laughs> he understood Senna, and yeah, of course. It, and and that was his idol as a child as well. And for me, yeah. Yeah, Aaron Senna couldn't have been my favorite driver because he died when I was like one years old. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, he, Lewis Hamilton, had a chance when he was a, a child. Uh, I think when he was, uh, what, 12 years old? He met Ron Dennis, who at the time was the boss of McLaren, which, uh, you know, one of the biggest, most successful racing teams of all time. Met Ron Dennis and he said to him as a child, he said, I will drive one of your race cars when I'm grown up. And Ron Dennis gave him a napkin with his phone number on it and said, call me in nine years. Mm -hmm. Um, Which just gives me goosebumps even thinking about that. It gives... Lewis Hamilton, less than nine years later, was, I believe he was sponsored by McLaren to go up through the junior formula. So McLaren was covering the cost of his uh, junior formula career. So in formula, uh, he won in formula two. And then in 2007, when he was 22 years old, he made his debut in formula one for McLaren <laughs> driving for Ron Dennis yes. at McLaren. Yes. It's, it's a, it's a, a fairy tale story. Um, with a lot of hard work behind it and a lot, a of, lot of hard work, lots of substance behind it. Yeah. F- like really, you know, he had to build a lot of character to get there. And also he took advantage. He definitely took advantage of, um, opportunity, right? So there's also, 
a sense of balls that have to come in with you, even at a young age, not just driving a fast car, but it's like making solid relationships with people. And it's almost like he was a prodigy at a young age, especially um, if we're going to even call out the concept of business. When you come up to somebody that's so high up and can actually be your mentor, obviously there's no uh, competition. So Ron Dennis had nothing to lose. He's got this child coming to him. It's almost like, oh yeah, sure. We'll see you in nine years. Oh really? Okay. Well, I've kept something, a little souvenir that you told me that I could actually erase for you. So it's like, this is technically a little contract. So I love that at that time, he, as a child already had that business mindset and he held that and kept it um, to come back and to show a tiny form of a contract from Dennis. So that's pretty, that's a really cool way to go. I, I don't think any other drivers that I've heard of, I mean, I'll talk about, um, I'll talk about uh, George Russell, what he did, which was pretty interesting, but definitely a creative way to get attention. Definitely. Not dissimilar if you, if you think about it. Um, but the, well, also I think that it's to do with, if you don't have a ton of opportunities uh, growing up, then when one, when you get an opportunity, you just have to go for it. And Lewis did it. So that's, and, and really you have to applaud him for it. And so when Lewis started in formula one, he was the first ever black driver. And he is still, I think the only ever black driver in formula one, which is a bit disappointing, but, uh, he started as a rookie in formula one, alongside teammate Fernando Alonso, who at the time was just off the back of winning two consecutive world championships. So Fernando Alonso was the defending double world champion and Lewis Hamilton was a rookie uh, in the same team, same car as Alonso. That's incredible. First race of the season, first time Lewis Hamilton gets in a Formula One car and actually goes racing against who is at the time like the best driver on the grid? Lewis just takes it to him right away and proves that he can compete not just at the highest level of motorsports, but against the best of the best at the highest level of motorsports. And in his rookie season, he missed out on winning the world championship by one point. What? So one point. One point. Oh one my point. So if in one race he had finished one position higher, he would have been a world champion his rookie year. Oh my goodness. It's a truly insane story. And there was also all sorts of weird stuff going on with McLaren that year with uh, what's known as the Spygate uh, scandal, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about at some other point. So he came back the next year, 2008, because of the fallout that happened within the team during the 2007 season, Fernando Alonso was no longer driving alongside Lewis Hamilton. Different teammate, uh, I think it was Heike Kovalainen from Finland, who was fine. Um, <laughs> he was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a Formula One driver. Uh, hasn't really, didn't really do anything of note. Uh, that we really need to talk about. But Lewis Hamilton won in 2008, won the world championship in his second year in Formula One with McLaren. He, he was one of the youngest ever world. Uh, was he the youngest world championship ever at, at the time? Or he was one of the youngest. I mean, I think it was but to be Alonzo and to look, to see this little rookie coming in and kicking ass, yeah. I think is a, a pretty interesting way to make an ego humble. <laughs> Hopefully somehow. Yeah, yeah so... I mean, that's just, it. you know, the way that I kind of judge whether or not somebody is a, a top tier Formula One driver is 
if you give them the opportunity, like if you put them in a competitive car, because not all cars are, are created equal. Um, if you put them in a car that's capable of winning races uh, uh, without some weird circumstances going on, like it being a wacky race or like being crashes or something like that. If you put them in a car that is capable on merit of winning a race and they immediately start showing that they can try to compete for a race win or being close to to trying to fight for the win. That's how, you know, I generally judge somebody as being one of the best of the best. And as soon as Lewis Hamilton got an F1, he was in a car that could win races and he started winning. So that's how you know if somebody's really got it. Yeah, and um, to not be in intimidated. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. sitting next to this, you know, world class champion <laughs> and to not be intimidated and to sit down and you know you know you're the rookie and then it's like all eyes are on you right because we know yeah. what he's done what alonzo had done earlier so i think that that's just I, I think it's super exciting that's the that's the excitement i love i love almost you know looking into the underdog so i would say as a rookie that's almost like an underdog even to his teammate right and to see what he could do in yeah in on uh, like against him or with him or however they wanted to proceed. Um, so from 2009 to uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12, McLaren kind of struggled. I think uh, uh, there were some seasons where they were actually strongly competing, but they, 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 were, they didn't have the best car any of those seasons. But Lewis still managed to win at least one race every single season of, of, uh, I think up until 2022, he he had won at least one race every single season, which, you know, not everyone gets to be a race winner in Formula One. But the fact that one guy is able to win a race in every season, even if he's not in the best car, that's a fantastic uh, record. That just shows how ready this guy is to compete. At the end of 2012, he was recruited to move from McLaren to Mercedes by uh, the great Nicky Lauda, who was one of the, uh, the the team leaders of Mercedes at the time, uh, he he has since died. I think he died in 2019. But Nicky Lauda is one of the most legendary drivers in Formula One history. Um, if you've ever seen the mar- the movie Rush, uh, with uh, 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 it's fantastic movie made by Ron Howard. He was a part one of the drivers from that film. But Lauda was a part owner of the Mercedes team. Lauda was able to persuade Hamilton to make the move from McLaren to Mercedes. And this was deemed by the media at the time as a very bizarre decision because everybody, you know, in and around F1 knew that McLaren uh, is, is a historically great team. They were seen as a much stronger competitor than Mercedes. But this turned out to be a defining move for Lewis Hamilton's career because in 2014, Mercedes began, as we discussed earlier, their period of dominance, and Lewis was able to win six more championships. So he won in 2014, 2015, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. A, a, A fantastic display of dominance that just punishing, just relentless. And during this time, he gained a reputation as being a relentless competitor, somebody who performs at an incredible level with incredible consistency, rarely has a bad race. And when he does, it's like, oh, Hamilton didn't do well today. That's weird. That's kind of the. It's a shock. The, it becomes a shock. Yeah, it is shocking. And then um, it goes all over media, social media. Like, it's just. It's such yeah, a shock. like if yeah. Hamilton has a bad race, people are just like, what is going on with Lewis Hamilton? This never <laughs> yeah. happens. Like, yeah. um, 
He's. It's like, do we blame it on the car? Do we blame it on something? You know, they have to look yeah. for something to to sort of back up why he lost. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's kind of OP. You know, he's kind of OP. Like, he's good at everything. Yeah. Um, in in December of 2021, he was knighted by the man who is now the King of England, King Charles, who who was then because uh, uh, her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth was still alive. He was Prince Charles, but now he is King Charles. Charles and he, uh, Lewis Hamilton was knighted by King Charles. He is now officially Sir Lewis Hamilton. Amazing. Um, Badass. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lewis is, I, I think it would be very fair to say Lewis is bigger than the sport of Formula One. He's become the sport's sort of global representative. He's very outspoken in favor of, uh, of you know, racial justice, social justice, uh, environmental issues. He's, you know, I said earlier, he's the only black driver in F1's history, and he has done a lot of activism to try to improve diversity within the world of motorsport. Very cool. And he was also with the knee, uh, putting the knee down, right, before every race. There was, oh, oh God, 2020. I remember the discourse around, will this driver or this driver take the knee or not? And I was just like, uh, very, <laughs> yeah. ex- it was, it was a constant media cycle. I, I, I was kind of tired of it after a while, but it was, um, but that's you know, part of the that, activism, right? You can't force yeah. other, other drivers to do that. But the fact that he inspired quite a few of the drivers to do that as well, without even speaking, just took a knee. That's it. And then wore the shirt, black lives matter. Yeah, that was it. I think he, you know, I think he had conversations with people behind closed doors about why it was important for him to do it. And some of them took him up on it and some of them didn't, but he's the guy who's having those conversations. So it's very cool. Um, Other fun fact, Lewis Hamilton is vegan and he opened his, or he's a partner in a a chain of vegan burger restaurants. Uh, uh, So if you've ever heard of Neat Burger, they have locations in several cities. I think they have one in New York City, which I tried to go to last time I was in New York City, but they weren't open on that day. Uh, he's very involved in fashion. Uh, you see him at the Met Gala dressed uh, in, 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 in cool and ostentatious ways. He's also interested in doing music. He did a song with Christina Aguilera uh, called Pipe. Uh, have, have you heard this song, Milana? Have I you heard know this song? song. Yes. Um, anyone that yeah. wants to hear it, just look it up, please. <laughs> yeah, look up, look up. Pipe by Christina Aguilera and Lewis Hamilton is featured on it. Um, it's a like it's a good song. It's a little bit just like uh, I mean the, the lyrics are pretty raunchy. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. Yeah, I did not expect okay. him to say yeah. those lyrics, but I was I was kind of shocked to be honest because it it takes away the image of you know what we have of him of being like this like does it eh, does it eh. I don't see like everything else is you know about the you know the movements and all that stuff and then I hear this song and I'm like oh boy what it what are you doing you know but yeah. it also represents his love for music because now he's doing his own like we see him playing guitar we see him you know learning the piano so there's all these things that he does um like surfing even apart from formula one which actually surfing's not easy it's it's difficult yeah and and it's like where's his free time and he just takes up all his free time to do all these projects it's phenomenal he's getting movies made you know he's he's the executive producer on some upcoming movie uh, I think it's going to have Brad Pitt in it, but it's going to be about racing. Uh, that's, I mean, generally, Lewis, I think, I, I well, would say Lewis. Well, and his production company. And his production company. It's called Apollo Dawn. 
So that's very cool. That that one's um, he that's as we speak. Uh, that's the one that he's um, opening right now. And another fun fact: Who else is vegan? His dog Roscoe. And Roscoe. Oh is, yes, it, <laughs> is his bulldog. Roscoe Hamilton <laughs> is a, a, a great Instagram follow. Would highly recommend it. But I mean, Lewis is generally. I would say he's a cool guy. He's an easy person to root for. Like he's not going to do stuff. That you're going to be like, Ugh. you know, it, like he's not going to do stuff where you're just like, I have to kind of ignore that he did this thing or said this thing in an interview if I want to keep rooting for this. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to do that to you. Like he's he I feel like he goes um, as far as he can to push the envelope and he knows where the boundaries are for the awareness of everyone that's listening to him. You know, like he knows how far that's he a good can way get to it. it. And then maybe pushes it just a little more to see the reaction of everyone else. And then he just keeps slowly doing that a little bit more. And that's where that activism kicks in. So he's really brilliant at doing all that as well. Yeah. And I mean, personally, like, and and this is just me speaking. I don't know if you feel the same way, but as much as I love racing, if I were hypothetically at a dinner party, I were invited to a dinner party and Lewis Hamilton were also invited to the dinner party and he was sitting across from me. I don't think that I would ask him about racing at all. Mm -hmm. I would probably talk to him about literally any of the other things that he was doing in his life, because those are also all very interesting. That's, that's the kind of guy he is. So like, he's very, very cool guy. I would say. Um, I would say that too. Absolutely. Oh, I would ask it. Yeah. I would ask him what it was like racing those little cars when he was younger. Um, how did he put the, cause I know his dad was very, very involved in his karting career. Like, um, when he was younger with the karting, um, how he felt learning about the carts, all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of fun. And then also the films, I, I really want to know what he wants to do with the films and, and that creative aspect to him is phenomenal. So it's not yeah. just like this. I understand that F1 drivers are are like in the car. They're beasts. They're ready to go. He has that aspect to him. But then when you see this creative side coming out of him, it's almost like a juxtaposition of his personality. Um, ultimately, everything coming together as a whole, which I mean, off track is a very different person than what we see on track specifically. And that's what makes him even more interesting for me a little bit more. Uh, if I were to say, um, I think I would, I would side with you. I think you and I would be sitting there being like, all right, so Lewis, tell, tell us me about the music. Yeah. Tell me about, yeah. tell us if you wrote the lyrics in the Christina Aguilera song. <laughs> I want to know. Man, if you did, that's, I mean, the, the lyrics are a little bit freaky, man. They're, they're well, uh, anything uh, that says Nana. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So like, um, I mean, you know, because because one of the things I guess it's it's good to talk about now is that there are some F1 drivers who you get the impression that as soon as they were old enough to um, and this is generally more true with the ones that are that grew up rich. You know, you'll get the impression that as soon as they were old enough for a cart, their parents were like, OK, you're going in a, in a go kart and you're going to do racing. And th- that's just how you're going to grow up, like almost like they were. It's it, like uh, rich people raising their kids in a lab to be a professional athlete, like to be a professional F1 driver. And then if you try to talk about them, talk to them about anything that isn't F1, they're just like, I don't know about that. All I know is racing. All my life has ever been is racing. Almost robotic. 
Yeah. And, and Lewis isn't like that. Mm-hmm. What would you say some of the downsides of, because, because I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm like full on Hamilton. Like I'm not full on team LH, which is what uh, Lewis Hamilton's fans are. But I, I, I really like Lewis Hamilton. I think he's a good ambassador for the sport. He's, he's one of my favorite drivers. What would you say some of the downsides of being a Lewis Hamilton fan are? Do you, if, what do you think about that? So like, let's say, okay, I have to put him hand in hand with Mercedes, to be honest, if we're talking about the last few years, um, sure. this goes back to the same concept of something that I can do without, uh, which again is a lot of, which I discuss is a lot of, uh, very passionate fans that go up against other fans of, of F1 and, create huge fights with one another online like it, it that's a diplomatic way of putting it <laughs> that's the, the <laughs> nicest way i mean like yeah. it turns into almost like a personal war online with lewis hamilton fans and they will back him for anything even if certain literally anything anything, anything. Uh, even if certain statistics are not in his favor or they'll come up with a reason as to why they are in his favor you know um uh, every movement that he's been a part of, if people are passionate about it right away, they, they merge it with Hamilton. Um, again, again, it's like, be prepared for a lot of crazy stuff coming your way. If you want to make it very well known to everyone that Lewis is your favorite. And when I'm talking about social media, if I'm talking about personally, uh, when I talk to my friends, I just explain, um, the main, you know, he's incredible. He's the best driver that we've seen so far with, how many titles he has. I'm hoping that I can get to see him win an eighth world title. I know he's at the same um, as Schumacher, which is seven. You know, it's just, it's, I want to see that. That's the part I want to see, you know? And then I tell them about the off track stuff. Once certain races end or qualifying sessions happen, you never know where it's going to go in the media. And that's that part where I'm just like, oh, I do not like looking at online abuse. That's all. So again, be yeah. prepared to read a lot of crazy tweets, a lot of crazy Instagram posts, TikTok, all that <laughs> stuff. But this is a sport where people make mistakes. It's very high stakes. And so y- it, say you have it in your head that Lewis Hamilton is a clean racing driver in that he doesn't drive in a manner that is dangerous to other drivers on the track. He's not going to put somebody in the position where they could potentially get into a crash with him on purpose and then play the gamesmanship sort of thing where they have to decide whether or not they want to have the crash. You could, if you get it into your head that Lewis Hamilton is a very clean driver, um, then you also get it into your head that none of the accidents that he gets into are ever his fault. Mm, and I understand. that is, and, and so this is also something that's kind of intrinsic to F1 is that nobody quite knows what the rules are 100% of the time. I don't think that F1 does a very good job of letting its fans of, of educating its fans about what exactly the rules of, of going into a corner, what kind of move is legal, what kind of move isn't legal. What you end up with is you end up with a lot of situations where the blame will be probably 60, 40 on one driver versus the other, like two drivers have a crash. It'll be the blame will be 60, 40 on one driver 
or maybe they'll just be a hundred percent on one and zero percent on the other. What if if Lewis Hamilton is ever in any of those situations, even if the crash is definitely his fault, then a lot of his fans will get extremely toxic on the internet and blame anybody who is either fans of the other driver or, you know, say he's dirty. He's always been, this guy is dirty. He's always been dirty. How dare he uh, uh, crash into Lewis Hamilton? He knows that he couldn't ever get past Lewis Hamilton if he were driving clean. Like, that's sort of the thing that you end up with. Also, um, that being said, Lewis is not the only driver who has fans who are like this. And one of the other drivers on the grid, Max Verstappen, also has a lot of fans who are like this. And fun fact, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are often racing against each other, and they often crash into each other. So as a result of this, Lewis fans and Max fans are very often at each other's throats about who is truly to blame for whatever incident they get themselves into. And that is often an extremely toxic discourse that I want no part of uh, most of the time. Sometimes I'll wade in and I'll say something and then um, my mentions or, or my comments will just be blown up with people uh, trolling and like trolling yeah. or just being like, how dare, dare you? you? Yes. You're, uh, you're <laughs> yeah. like, how dare you challenge the great Lewis Hamilton? Yes. Like, <laughs> no, no, you do. You do have to deal with a lot of that. Also, Lewis is the only black driver on the grid. So you got to see a lot of racism against him, which is no fun. Uh, I wouldn't say that's a reason not to be a fan of the guy, but keep that in mind that you will see that stuff going forward. Uh, Nelson PK, what's up? <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! That's an inside uh, thing that we like. That, right now, we're yo, going into an inside uh, understanding of what's going on yeah. with that. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll later. talk about that as well. <laughs> All right, we are now going to jump to an interview that Milana and I recorded with Bryson Sullivan from Tech Heads F1 podcast. Bryson is an engineer. He's a really knowledgeable guy about F1, and he's just going to give us some insight into the Lewis Hamilton fan experience, and we're just going to talk about what this driver means to the people who support him. It's a great conversation. We hope that you guys enjoy it. All right, so we are here with Bryson, and we're here to talk about Lewis Hamilton. Bryson, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. It's really exciting. Uh, do you want to just uh, give our listeners... A little background about who you are, how you got into F1, um, and, and just your background with the sport. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of describe myself as a, as a public nerd, <laughs> you know, kind of a, a tech enthusiast of F1, um, someone who definitely has an engineering background but doesn't work in the sport, but has always been a huge fan of it and tried to approach it from more of a technical side, learning more about that and trying to communicate that to the, the wider fan base. As far as Formula One goes, it's actually a really funny story. As you may know, in the United States, Formula One wasn't popularized in the same way it is now as it was years ago. And my introduction to it was totally by accident. I just had some friends on a random Sunday that were especially passionate about going to a race. And I just allowed them to drag me to it. And it was one of the best experiences of my life because I had just never seen anything like that before. Um, in my what race was that? 
That was the Indianapolis Grand Prix uh, in 2005. And that race was famous for only having six cars in the race and Tiago Montero on the podium. But it was amazing for me because even though you only had six cars, the performance of the cars wasn't diminished at all. What impressed me was the engineering side of it. What impressed me was the technology side of it. And that's always been what kind of stuck with me. So yeah, that's kind of how I was introduced to Formula One. And it was a hobby for like a really long time. Nothing that I was really actively pursuing and trying to become a figure in in any way. But over the last couple of years, I've gotten more involved in the social media space and really enjoyed some of the conversations I've been having there. We started a, a tech-focused F1 podcast. Um, it's been really positive. That's awesome. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I mean, in, in terms of Formula One specifically, <laughs> um, there's so many layers to it. Um, there are so many things to dig into. The cars are one side of it, and then the drivers are a completely separate side. So I think there's equal attention to both of those. The main question I guess we're here to answer is, if I were a, a new Formula One fan and I were just getting into the sport now and I were trying to pick a favorite driver, why should I pick Lewis Hamilton to be my favorite driver? Well, I think the first thing I would have to say to preface any kind of discussion like this is you can have whoever you want to be your favorite driver. I'm, I'm not one of those people who says, I like this driver. And if you don't like this driver, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely not in that camp. I, I, I support the idea of, of people supporting whatever driver or team they want for whatever reason they want. However, if they were interested in, in supporting Lewis Hamilton, I think so much of our time is spent talking about his persona and his portfolio <laughs> as a person, both on the social side and on the, on the driving side. And so much has been talked about in recent years about his um, sort of humanitarian work and focus on social issues. But I kind of want to focus a little bit just on how insanely good he actually is. <laughs> right? Um, the thing that strikes me, the thing that strikes me the most about Lewis is he's gotten so good over time but when he actually joined the sport for the first time in 2007, he arrived on the scene as one of the most complete racing drivers we had ever really seen. And it was it was so shocking. It, I mean, for those who are following Formula One right now, maybe they're fans of, of Max Verstappen, you know, defending world champion. Imagine that you had a brand new rookie coming into the sport, say Oscar Piastri or Logan Sargent. And imagine he was going into Red Bull. And imagine that driver competing with and beating the defending champion in their rookie year, <laughs> right? I mean, in, in the same car, right? That That is actually the, the level that Lewis Hamilton entered the sport in. And he was going up against none, none other than Fernando Alonso, who is was not just a defending champion, but is known as one of the you know best drivers in the grid in general. But what made Lewis special was, we can talk about his heritage and his, his background as the only black driver in Formula One. But but just to focus a little bit more on his abilities, he was a qualifying genius. His race pace was incredible. He was able to keep his head on a swivel and learn strategies, make quick calculations uh, based on where other cars were, when to pit, when to not, when to change for dry tires or wet tires. He just did everything so well right out of the box. And then the question was, you know, how actually good could he get? And his relationship with McLaren was quite interesting, but the, the thing I really want to emphasize is just his consistency, his skill, and his ability to make tough decisions under pressure, which is kind of what I 
appreciate about him. As I mentioned a second ago, he is the first black Formula One driver to actually race. Uh, Willie T. Ribs did test a, a Brabham, I want to say, uh, earlier on before. But Lewis I was think the, it was Brabham. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know, I know Bernie Eccleston set it up. <laughs> Lewis was special as well because... Obviously, he faced a lot of the same difficulties that Willie did, more so like in the UK than, than in the US. But when he joined the sport, it was kind of a revelation, right? I mean, Lewis was, I would argue that Lewis Hamilton was in many ways the Jackie Robinson of motorsports. For those who know, Jackie Robinson was the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. And many of the same difficulties that Jackie went through I would argue Lewis went through when he joined Formula One. So there's there's much more to get into there, but the on-track part of Lewis is is the thing that I am most drawn to him by. But he's a prolific figure out outside of, of motorsport. He's active in fashion and business and and music and and cinema and all these things. He has a very large profile, but instead of that seeming to detract from his on-track performances, he seems to need it. He seems to need it to be able to relax in between races, and it's suited him really well so far. I love yeah. that you point out relaxed um, in between races and yet he's still busy, you know, but I guess that's the creative side of him that's popping out in comparison to this type of um, almost like a form of a strategist that you sort of brought up when he's driving, driving in the car and making certain calls. And is there any sort of driving style that that stands out about him in comparison to other drivers, you would say? You know, early on in Lewis's career, he did tend to be a little bit harsh on tires. He would tend to chew them up a little bit during the race, but that same aggression would allow him to fire the tires up very quickly in qualifying and make sure he gets the tires in the right temperature window to be able to qualify at a, at a good position. It's a, it's a strange thing. All great champions start with a good baseline. They have an incredible amount of raw talent and skill, but to become legends, so to speak, to become true champions of the sport, a, a champion's champion, they have to get even better. They have to learn how to do more. And so even though there are things that Lewis has been good at, you know, indefinitely, you know, overtaking and raw race pace and these are things, tire management and strategy and some of these intangible things, working with engineers, these are things that Lewis has gotten better at over time. And I just want to give him credit for doing that. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is that all of the things that Lewis, I think early in his career was, was things that people saw as kind of like weaknesses for him. Like the, like you were saying with the tire, uh, being hard on tires, or he was also earlier in his career was seen as kind of a hothead. Although I don't know how much that was actually true. It might've just been some racism going on with the British tabloids, how they can be. And also, you know, people were, were saying, oh, he's too distracted with outside things outside of the sport. Now, all of those things are things that are kind of strengths of his. When you think about Lewis, he's one of the best at preserving his tires. He's it, it seems like the things that he's doing outside of the sport are, are really things that help him be more, uh, I guess, focused when he actually comes to the sport and clear his head. And, you know, his mentality is, I think probably unrivaled as far as a guy who's just focused and able to get to it. Yeah. I, I think what I would say is every person is different. Every person is unique. 
there's no reason to assume that what works well for Lewis would work well for Nico Rosberg or for Kimi Raikkonen. But <laughs> to pick some some other examples, <laughs> Lewis just is is his own way, and I think it just took a little bit of time for the people around him, especially in the McLaren days, and and not just any McLaren. I mean the Ron Dennis McLaren. It took time for people to recognize who he really was and to realize that they weren't actually sacrificing anything by allowing him to get out of the mold that they may have made for him. I mean, we we know how Lewis was in McLaren, um, but you could see a visual progression year on year, how he kind of became more his own person at Mercedes. And I think that was a a big part of him feeling comfortable and, and performing at his best level. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Um, yeah, I agree. And and when it when he's performing at that type of level and then looking back on when he just started. So Bryson, what was it about him that caught your eye um for the first time? Like was it that he beat Alonso at the beginning or when he got into Formula 1 or is there something else that drew you in um other apart from that? You know, I I am a, an African American man and it it was special to me to see him for the first time there doing what he loves, racing someone that kind of looked like me. It was kind of a cool thing. It was a new, uh, a new thing to see because, you know, I think occasionally we had one or two, you know, black mechanics in the garage. Uh, there's a guy that used to work at McLaren for several years. And I could recognize like, Oh, I know that guy, but, but, but never a driver. Um, and so that was certainly one of the factors involved in what sort of drew me towards him. But what I would say is that even if you, if I knew nothing about it, even if he was totally covered by the mask at all times, like, like the Stig, you know, from, from Top Gear, even, even if, even if that was the driver that he was, I still would have been, um, would have gravitated towards him because of his self-confidence and his ability. I, I can't tell you how easy it would be for a two-time defending world champion to be breathing down your neck, wanting to actually be able to beat you. And not only do you have the raw pace to be able to actually keep up with that driver, but when they're putting you under pressure, when you're off the racing line trying to defend and you have to hit the brakes, the, the ability to not lock up, to not go wide, and fold under that pressure is something that really uh, brought out the the best in Lewis and everyone sort of saw it right away. Probably one of the best examples of that was the U.S. Grand Prix at Indianapolis in 2007. This is a race where although the Mercedes, excuse me, although the McLaren wasn't the fastest in top speed, it was overall the fastest car at that particular race. And it was basically a one versus one fight between Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton for the entire race. I mean, just, just trading blows fastest sectors for fastest sectors, back and forth. And Alonso was pressuring him the entire distance of the Grand Prix when he was closest to Lewis was actually when a back marker failed to get out of the way when he was being lapped. And that held Lewis up a little bit and allowed Alonso to get right behind him. And that was exactly the situation that I mentioned when Alonso was close enough to overtake. Lewis was smart enough to go semi-defensive, not fully defensive, but you know, kind of in the middle of the track. And 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 not miss his breaking point, hit the apex and and make it around the corner and then pull away again. It, it was just a, a masterclass in, in defense. Yeah, and it's not easy to. And it's not just any um, two-time world champion that he has coming after him. It's Fernando Alonso, who is famously ruthless. Yes, and and Fernando, you know, for all the things that Fernando's known for, occasionally being a hothead, occasionally you know not getting along with team members. 
there's no question he's extremely fast. He's always been extremely fast. And that's the one thing that you always have to watch out for when you're going, you know, toe to toe with him is that he does have the race pace and he, he does have the, the overtaking skills as well. I mean, the fact that he didn't get intimidated by Fernando in his like rookie year coming into the sport, that's pretty incredible. That's, I, I mean, that's, I, I don't know how to, <laughs> how I would cope with a situation like that. I would melt immediately. I would melt like butter, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think I would as well. But, but as I said, I think this is one of those things where we, it takes time for greatness to express itself, right? So even though people knew that Lewis was good right away on the first, the first lap of the first race of the season, even though they knew he had talent when he you know, got his first win in Canada in 2007, no one really knew how good he could become. And it wasn't really clear how many levels he had to unlock until he really started getting into the second phase of his career, I would say, at Mercedes. And not everyone has the opportunity to get that chance to be able to show themselves in, the, in a fast car. But at the same time, the t- people in the team, especially the engineers in the team, know who's fast, <laughs> okay? They know which drivers are the best drivers that have the best opportunity to maximize the pace of their car. And it's not an accident that when Michael Schumacher retired for the you know second time in 2012, it's no accident that the person that Mercedes was going after was Lewis Hamilton. And it's because they recognized right away that he could be a, a great fit for that team. And it turned out to be one of the most successful, if not the most successful pairings in Formula One history. It was also really good to see Lewis get away from a more buttoned down atmosphere right. into somewhere that he had more freedom to express himself. And that was really nice to see. Yeah, most most definitely. And and to be clear, you know, his his rivalry, excuse me, his rivalry with Nico Rosberg, who he had, you know, known for a long time in the junior formula carding and 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 lower formula, his rivalry with Nico Rosberg is is one of the stories of F1 legend. I mean, that that was an amazing battle over the course of a couple of seasons, especially in 2014, uh, which was the first year of the V6 turbo hybrid engine regulations. Mercedes was the class of the field you know, by far, um, just as much as Red Bull seems to have been in this in this current regulation change. And it was really a fight between those two titans. And as much as I like Valtteri Bottas and as good as George Russell is, Nico Rosberg is definitely the toughest adversary that Lewis had to face. It was close with Alonso, but that only happened for one year. With Nico, we had multiple years um, of their battles. And we were able to see it sort of develop over several instances. And and Nico was always a, a great and, and a fierce competitor for Lewis to go up against. Yeah. And I remember Nico Rosberg speaking after he'd won that championship, just the mental toll that it takes on a driver to really go into a title fight. But Lewis has been in the title fight. How many times? Like 10 times? Uh, I can't be right. It, it has to be, you know, it's it's funny because I was looking back in, in, in previous seasons and you could ask yourself, well, how many title fights has he actually been in? And I would say if he had a chance of winning a ti- of the title in the final race, then he should be in it. Right. So that, that that's like even 2010, you know, 2012, these are years when things could have happened. Yeah, even 2016, that year when he did not win the championship, he still could have won it in that race had things gone slightly differently. And arguably, if it were not for a kind of catastrophic engine failure in Malaysia while he was winning, while he was leading in 2016, 
he would have won that championship before the final round. So he's been there or abouts in pretty much every season he's competed in. We recently talked about this win streak that he had broken recently, 15 consecutive seasons with at least one win <clears throat> and at least one pole position. Those are numbers that are almost hard to believe. It's almost like video game numbers, right? When you think of how difficult Formula One is as a sport and how non-deterministic it is, right? There's so much chance in it. People retire, people can crash into you. There's so many things that can happen to ruin that streak. And yet he was able to keep it going for more than a decade. It was just incredibly impressive. Yeah. And most F1 drivers, I think the, if you look at the list of, hold on, I'm going to pull it up right now. If you look at the list of drivers with most wins in Formula One, I think that, that like the, the top few drivers, you know, you have like your Lewis Hamiltons, your uh, Michael Schumachers, your Sebastian Vettels, your uh, Ayrton Senna's, Max Verstappen's, people with like 20, 30 plus wins or whatever. And then you get down to people who are seen as legends of the sport. And these these drivers who are legends of the sport, they will have like 15 career wins. Mm. Lewis is been in the sport for 16 years and he's won a, re a race at every single year at least except for one of those years but he's you know that, that that's just a, a truly ludicrous statistic yeah i as i said before those are, those are video game numbers uh in, in some sense but he's the only driver to have won at least 100 races and so we kind of informally refer to him as the centurion Right as as the one who has has won a hundred a uh, hundred races, and he's actually you know even though he hasn't uh, won a race this year, he, he didn't get a pole position. He was still getting podiums left and right, and he probably should have had one in Abu Dhabi if it were not for um, the hydraulic failure. But he's actually closing in on two hundred podiums, and if Mercedes produces even a remotely uh, competitive car next season, he will break two hundred podiums, which is kind of an insane uh, number to think about, but it's just, it's a reflection of how how uh, close he's been to the title fight in all of the years. Now, to be clear, he hasn't had great cars all those years. He's earned the right to be in good cars because he's so good, but he's definitely had to drag a few uh, dogs across the finish line a few times. Um, 2009 was an example of that where the car was not very good to start the season, but they developed it over the course of the season, much like Mercedes developed their car over the course of this season. It just so happened in this case that George was able to uh, take the victory as opposed to Lewis this year. But, you know, that, that's the way life goes sometimes. And I would also add to that, like, as soon as he said that, I go back to the time when I saw, uh, I don't know which race it was, but seeing him cross the finish line on three wheels with Verstappen coming up behind him. Oh my God. I that, mean, he that, even finished that way. <laughs> that, that, that was, that was the, the, the 2020, uh, British Grand Prix. Oh my goodness. Uh, and what's, what's amazing about that is it's not like that was an isolated incident. Because other people had uh, tire failures as well. You know, Carl Sainz had one. Valtteri Bottas had one just a couple of laps earlier. And a normal person, under normal circumstances, would just like retire the car or try to pit immediately. But he managed to get it all the way around the track. And I'll tell you what, what impressed me about that race wasn't even him finishing on three tires. That's actually not what impressed me. What impressed me was instead of immediately pulling the car off 
after crossing the finish line, he then did an entire cooldown lap. <laughs> he did he did an entire cooldown lap all the way around, all the way around, and pulled into Park Fermi like he was supposed to. And it, it, it's, it's so funny because I I went back I I went back to look at this and I was listening to his radio with Bono and Bono's like, okay, Lewis, congratulations, that's last lap. You know, retire the car, good job. And Lewis is like, no, no, I think I got it. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think I no no I got it it's fine it's fine and he and he literally drove the car so what it indicates to me and as, aside from the co- the comedic value of this what it indicates to me is he knew enough about the dynamics of the car how fast he could go how hard he could brake how much steering angle he could put in to actually keep that tire basically on the rim without completely destroying it, which is something that essentially no one else is able to do that day. So, yes, I remember that race very well, Milana. It was uh, one of those legends of Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> oh, I agree. Absolutely. This is a truly insane moment. It was I, remarkable. I mean, it was insane. Absolutely. The thing about that also, I mean, it just goes to show the mentality of a guy like him because that was a year when it was, I think it was probably clear at that point through the season that Lewis was going to win the championship, that Mercedes had the best car and that Valtteri Bottas wasn't really going to be a challenge to him yet. Still, he felt like, okay, I still need to win this race. I can't pull off and, and take a DNF. I can't like you, you never stop pushing. Even if you're at the front, you just never give up. And that really, I think is, is a mentality that is, uh, 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 synonymous with Lewis Hamilton and just the way that he operates as well. Yeah, if, if fans are new, new to the sport and they haven't heard of some of these more famous races, I, I can't think of a better example of what you just described than the European Grand Prix, or it may have been called the, the, the German Grand Prix, at the Nürburgring in 2007. The reason why that's useful is because that particular race on, I think it was the second or third lap or whatever it was, a huge downpour came down and just flooded the entire track. Cars were aquaplaning off of turn one, left and right. It was actually it's actually dangerous. You know, going back, there was a, a far more reluctant tendency to red flag races back then. And so they thought they could cover it with yellow flags. And cars are just coming down, flying down at, at 100 miles an hour. The safety car was trying to, to, to you know, be there and pick up the leaders. And it had to jump out of the way because a car was sliding toward it sideways. You know, it would crash into it because people were aquaplaning. Lewis also went off the track. But instead of just ditching his car there in the gravel, even though the, the crane had already been hooked up to his car, it was like picking it up. It picked up his car with him in it. And he kept the engine running. <laughs> okay. Oh Lewis, Lewis, <laughs> Lewis kept the engine running. And and it was like directing the, the safety crews to put him down towards the track. They put his car down on the track, <gasps> took took off the hook, and he drove away and and, and completed the race. Oh okay? my goodness! So, so Lewis Lewis is it's not just that he has this this stick to it uh, mentality to to get wins when that would otherwise be easy. He just doesn't like retiring from races ever, and he will do anything and everything in his power to finish a race. It's it's one of his unheralded attributes that allowed his success to be as great as it is because in races when he by all rights should have retired he stayed in the race scored some points and that integrates over time to help him win championships right away you gave me the idea of him getting stuck in gravel for for or was it gravel or was it grass and then he was able to back out slowly it it, it was it was it was uh well i don't know which race of course but (laughs) 
so and so he he's done it a few times. Um, yeah. when he he was it was it was gravel at the Norberg ring, but that actually you know they say things come in swings and roundabouts. You know you gain some, you lose some. In 2007, Lewis probably lost a championship by going off in gravel and not being able to actually get going again. That was in the Chinese Grand Prix in 2007. McLaren left him out way, way longer than they should have. His tires were literally down to the the carcass of the tire. They were exposed. He went into the pits. It was raining. He went into the pits to change his tires, and he understeered wide into the gravel on the right-hand side, and he was unable to get started going again. And he was leading when this happened. And so as much as we talk about his battle with Fernando Alonso and he, he ultimately beat him over the course of the season because they were tied on points, but Lewis had more wins or more second places or whatever. Lewis could have won that championship easily <laughs> if it weren't for that issue in China as well. So it, it just goes to show that there are, as I said before, Formula One is not a deterministic sport. It's not like you put something in and you automatically get the same thing out every time you get lucky sometimes and you get unlucky sometimes. The fact that Lewis has been as good as he's been in his records just shows what the level actually is. Yeah, I think another example of that was uh, in Imola in 2000, uh, 2021 when Lewis Hamilton went off and was basically in the wall but managed to get his car back onto the track and get into the pits and... Um, and, and finished the race and actually ended up coming through the field and finishing quite well in that race, uh, despite the fact that he had been a lap down. And that ended up making a huge, huge, huge difference in the championship, where I think if he had not been able to keep his car on the track in that race, then he wouldn't have been really in contention at all at the end of the season. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was really impressive. I mean, first of all, Formula One cars, just as a small technical note, Formula One cars have eight forward gears and one reverse gear, and they almost never use the reverse gear in normal situations. So it actually takes one or two times to actually put the car in reverse gear, and sometimes it doesn't even work. So the fact that he was able to, under pressure, find that reverse gear slowly, very, very slowly back out of that gravel instead of spinning the tires up right away and beaching himself... Uh, being able to actually finish the race was uh, remarkable in, in more ways than one. And you're right. I'd actually forgotten about that. That's probably the case that Milano was talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It, Cause you guys that, are good at remembering dates or races, like the locations and stuff. I just remember I have like, it's almost like a film in my mind of what happens. I have little chunks of, of um, situations. So that's what I'm good at bringing up. But I love that you guys are uh, letting me know of dates and new fans of dates and specific locations as well. And so new uh, fans can go back and, and have a look at exactly what we're talking about. I was just going to um, ask Bryson if he's got any specific recommendations of races that uh, that new fans could watch back to really get uh, uh, an idea of who Lewis is as a driver, just uh, like a couple of highlights of, of some, I know he's had a long career and many, many races where he's just been incredible. But, uh, if you had to pick a few, yeah, I mean, you know, there are, there are so many races. I mean, when you, when you win over a hundred races, there's so many to choose from. There are three at least that I, I want to make sure people get a chance to watch. Um, the first one is his very first race. Uh, the Australian Grand Prix in 2007, first race for McLaren, first race in Formula One, first race against his defending world champion uh, teammate, Fernando Alonso. And right from the first lap, first corner, Lewis 
pulled a move that would make other people blush. <laughs> okay, uh, a move <laughs> a move around around the outside uh, of his defending world champion teammate. Not in an embarrassing way, not in a rude way, but just in an opportunistic way because of where the cars were placed. And it was the, the type of move that a, a more seasoned driver would make, not the one a rookie would make. Or if a rookie would make it, they would lock up and crash into their teammate and everyone would yell at them. But he didn't. And he was incredible on pace as well. He didn't win that race. But Lewis had, I want to say, eight or nine consecutive podiums to start his career. Like nine nine consecutive races, he had a podium. Um, and the second race I recommend would actually be his first win uh, in Montreal in 2007. Uh, that was a race that's actually most famous for a horrific accident from uh, Robert Kubica that basically smashed his, his car in half, but he was ultimately okay. Um, but that was a race that had multiple safety cars, multiple yellow flags, Many opportunities for someone to overtake Lewis, um, but he was able to secure the victory under immense pressure, which is really impressive. Um, and incidentally, that crash from Robert Kubica actually started Sebastian Vettel's F1 career because Kubica couldn't race in, the, in, in Indianapolis in 2007. So Sebastian Vettel raced for BMW that race. Um, but then the, the third race I'd recommend is actually uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix from 2013. Um, this was the first race that Lewis uh, won for Mercedes. And it was before the V6 turbo hybrid era. So Mercedes didn't have the same type of car underneath them um, that they had in, in later seasons. And it was a fight for, for you know, from, from beginning to end. Um, it was a, a battle that required race pace and strategy and overtaking on Hungary, which is Difficult in case you guys haven't seen that track. It's like a, a big go kart track, but it was his first uh, win for Mercedes, and I think it really cemented his place in the team and was a uh, you know a good sign for for things to come. Yeah, if I were going to recommend one personally, I the one that I would add would be Brazil two thousand and twenty one, which yeah. was a, a race in which Lewis started. I not at the, not at the back of the field, but he started in the middle of the field, and he it was really a do or die situation when he had to, you know, make it to the front and and finish really well if he was going to still compete for the championship. And yeah, I mean that that race is it's so you can't even talk about the race in isolation. You have to kind of think about the entire weekend. I mean the emotional roller coaster of putting the car on pole and then being disqualified for very questionable reasons and starting the sprint race from actually the back of the field. He, he was last in the sprint race, but he overtook 10 cars in the sprint race to start 10th in the actual race and then overtook another 10 during that race. And so th that was incredible. And obviously the wheel to wheel uh, antics with Verstappen uh, were part of that race as well. But I'm sure people, people who haven't even heard about Formula One know about their uh, title fight in 2021. So I'm sure they're well aware. <laughs> Truly savage stuff. It was, uh, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. And if we get into the concept of savage, like, you know, what would you say are the drawbacks of being a strong fan of Lewis? Because there are some pretty, like, in, in a way, there. if I go on Twitter, for example, I, I have to be prepared with some thick skin, you know, to really stand my ground 
uh, or Lewis. And I don't have the balls to do that. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I don't want to get into any other people really want to get into it. Um, so for me, it's just, what is like, do people just love to hate a champion or do they just want to see underdogs do something, you know, uh, better or how does that work? Like what's going on in the social media world surrounding Lewis that if a new fan were to jump in right now and see all that insanity going on after a race or, um, you know, uh, very controversial communication going on, what would you say to a new fan about that? I, I think the first thing to recognize about Lewis and this idea that people who go up against him are the underdog, I would actually turn that notion on its head. I would argue that Lewis is actually the underdog because, as I mentioned before, he is the first black Formula One driver, and he's by far the most successful one, almost by definition. But it's just a, a fact of life that there are people in the world who don't want to see a person of color be successful at all, let alone be the most successful one. This notion of statistically most successful driver is something that was invented to describe Lewis. It was never used to describe Schumacher or Senna. <laughs> the reason why they have to use statistically most successful is because they just don't want to say most successful for whatever reason. You can look at that as you, as you want. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about this, this, thick, this thick skin question. And there's, there's no secret that Social media is, it's a force multiplier, right? The, the good parts about it are incredibly good. And the bad parts about it are like incomprehensibly bad, right? And, and people who are all about, you know, throwing racial slurs and name calling and, and bullying women and all these things, they're out there and they love to attack Lewis for whatever reason. My recommendation for anyone in that situation is to just ignore them. I mean, just because people have the ability to speak does not guarantee them an audience. Many people, if you listen to them for more than three seconds, you'll realize that you're wasting your time and it would be wasting their time as well, but they don't, they don't, <laughs> they have so much time they can't possibly waste it. But no, I mean, as far as drawbacks would go, I mean, I, I think, I think people who, like Lewis and, and love him for reasons that I haven't really mentioned yet. I mean, I talked about the professional side of him, his racecraft, his ability on the track. He's he's kind of a, a beast on the racetrack, but he also is very passionate about uh, social issues. He's very passionate about the environment. He's very passionate about education. He's very passionate about increasing the representation of minorities, all kinds of minorities, not just ethnic minorities, but gender and sexual orientation minorities. That creates enemies. It, it shouldn't, but it, but it does. And so people just need to be aware of that if they want to support him. But I, I would argue that that gives me all the more reason to support him. You know, I, I will never become a more ardent defender of someone than when they are personally attacked. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm happy to stay out of most fights, but when I see people that are being targeted, that are being, you know, hit specifically, um, with things that that make Twitter an unusable platform to, for them, um, that bothers me. And so there's definitely going to be pushback from that. But no, I, I don't think there's really any drawbacks. I mean, Formula One is a sport of passion. And as I said before, people, not only do they have the right to support whoever they want, but I would, I would encourage them to do that. I don't want to live in a world where people feel hesitant or shy about supporting someone for whatever reason they want. And it is possible 
to support your own team or driver or whatever without actively trying to take down another team or driver. Now, to be clear, me personally, I was a fan of Formula One before Mercedes was even a team again, or before Lewis even started racing. For me, I've always been a Formula One fan before being a Lewis Hamilton fan or Mercedes fan. I do, I am a fan of those entities <laughs> for sure, but there'll always be something that draws me to Formula One, uh, even when Lewis retires. Um, so I, I don't tend to get as as uh, involved in some of the tiny fights as, as, as some other people do, and even I used to back in the day. The only thing that I really have a, a firm stance on that I am very much willing to discuss is what happened almost exactly one year ago uh, in Abu Dhabi in the season finale. Um, because, because, and again, we don't have to spend a tremendous amount of time talking about it, but this is a situation in which I think it's been described variously as a bad call by people uh, who try to talk about Abu Dhabi. And I would argue that that's not accurate because a bad call implies that you did something that you were allowed to do. Right. If you're if you're if you, imagine a baseball game, American baseball game, and imagine you're uh, you know bought top of the no top of the eighth inning, you know the home team is leading or whatever, and you give a batter four strikes instead of three. That's not a bad call. <laughs> That's inventing an entirely new call, or or you give a team four outs instead of three, or you say something like, okay, well, this team is winning by ten runs and. You know, we're going towards the middle of the game, but I got to go somewhere. So next home run wins, <laughs> right? Like, and 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 the team and the team that's losing hits a home run, and the, and the umpire says, "Oh, game over." You know, I just said next home run wins, and they hit it. So that's it. You know, it's it's just a it's just an egregious abuse of power. And the thing is, what the race director did is certainly bad. But that isn't really the worst part about it. It isn't really the important part. The important part is people looked at that, looked at what happened and said, yeah, I think we'll just let this slide. I think it's clear that the race director took liberties they didn't have. And it's clear that the championship changed hands as a result, but we'll just let it go. So that's it, which is essentially what they did. And you know, there, there are many layers to this. They tried to say that no, no, we didn't actually understand what happened or or some other version of we'll investigate it. Don't worry. Of course, they didn't do that until the very end of the season, the next season. But the truth is, and this is something that I try to emphasize to anyone that I speak to about this, even if you were to rightfully return Lewis's championship, the problem is there's no way to give back what was taken away. And by that, I don't mean uh, an eighth championship. What What I actually mean is... The ability to celebrate a championship on the day in front of your friends, in front of your family, in front of millions of fans, and to enjoy the moment of that. As soon as those decisions were made in race control and then, and then backed up afterwards, that moment was taken away. And there's nothing that can be done by Lewis or anyone else in the future that will, that will bring it back. This is, and this is all, I won't go too much on about this, but... This is why it's dangerous for people to say, we really want Mercedes to have an amazing season because they deserve it. They have to get back after what was done in Abu Dhabi. And I just have to be clear, there is no action that Lewis can do or Mercedes can do. There is no amount of wins, future or otherwise, uh, that will make right what was wrong on that day. That That is what I would try to communicate to people who are 
learning more about the situation. Um, but fundamentally, no, I don't view that as a, a bad call. You can make whatever argument you want as to why that call was made. <laughs> uh, some explanations are more charitable than others. But fundamentally, no, I, I don't view it as a bad call. It's uh, one of the things that will be a stain on the sport for far longer than people realize. I'm Yeah, I think you explained that perfectly because all I've just been seeing is a, a massive divide in Formula One since um, that race. So I love how you explained that and actually put it into words as an overarching situation versus going into a microcosmic type of view um, because – it's uh, it's very important to step back and look at the entire picture, and yeah, he can't get it back in the way that it's I guess supposed to be in a way. But he's still running and, and he's in the game, so I I look forward to see what he does in twenty twenty three for sure. And um, so, what is this hashtag Team LH? What does that mean if a new a new fan sees it? Is it like a specific one just for Lewis Hamilton or um, is it all over Twitter? Is it all over social media that people use? Because <laughs> I see it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, Team LH is, is, is an informal name for fans of Lewis Hamilton. But as you might imagine, and as I'm sure you'll discover, that could mean many things to many people over time. Uh, I think the only thing that is common between all people who are associated with Team LH is that they're all fans of Lewis Hamilton in one form or another. They come from all walks of life. They believe many different things. We don't often get along with each other, honestly. Um, but but no, it's it's the name of 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 uh, Lewis's in, in, the informal name of of his fans. Kind of in the same way you'd have like an Orange Army for Max Verstappen or Tifosi. The Tifosi for, yeah, for, for Ferrari. Ferrari. The, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you call Red Bull fans in general, like bullheads or something. <laughs> bull, bulls. What is that? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but, but no, I mean, I, I think, as I said before, you know, the, there's, there's, no, there's no one thing that connects all these people in a group aside from them saying that they're affiliated with the group. And so I, I, I think there's subtlety there. Um, I, I don't really view it as any sort of a, a, a regimented <laughs> structure. There certainly aren't like lieutenants and like you know, official leaders in it. Um, but oftentimes there's a lot of like-minded people that tend to get along. And when we don't you know, normally people can, can uh, work it out. <laughs> like you were saying before with uh, the FIA kind of making bad decisions and then just hoping that they can move on from it uh listeners who are new to formula one remember that because that's a common theme going forward that happens a lot <laughs> i mean and, and here's this might be the most egregious example but this is <laughs> the, the thing is the the great tragedy of this is as fun as it is to point out loudly and repeatedly the inc demonstrated incompetencies of the fia the sad truth is we need the FIA working properly and and accurately. We we need this organization to be functioning at its highest level because driver safety, fan safety, you know, the safety of track marshals all depends on the ability of these people in these jobs to do their jobs correctly. If they don't do them, people people could be killed. You know, this is this is Formula One is a totally unique sport in that there are very few sports in the world where you literally could die at every single event. 
Now, I'm not saying that people haven't died in football and boxing and in baseball and things, but the, the chances of it happening are significantly higher in Formula One. The only other thing I can think of that has a greater fatality rate is either like MotoGP or like offshore speedboat racing or something insane, right? I mean, it, it's, it's safety has gotten so much better over time, but historically, you know, mortal danger has never been far away. And so, again, even as recently as yesterday, the FIA was doing strange and questionable things, okay, at the uh, the prize giving ceremony. At the award, yeah. But, <laughs> but 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 to be clear, but but to be clear, I, I'm not even interested in that really. What I am interested in is the fair and equitable governance of a sport that prioritizes competition over education, and also an organization that we trust both implicitly and explicitly to preserve safety. That, that's really even more important than the fairness question. Before we get off, uh, before we go, um, is there anything that you would like to plug? Uh, any podcasts that you do, any uh, any social media that you want to plug for listeners of the show? Uh, honestly, my, my primary plug is just be nice to each other. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Formula One, as I said before, it is a sport based on passion and it can get very ugly at times. Uh, what I would recommend is in your interactions with people to begin with, just try to take a step back and realize sometimes it's not really worth it. Um, but yeah, as far as things to plug, as I mentioned before, I do have a tech-focused F1 podcast called uh, Tech Heads F1. And essentially, it's like a podcast by engineers for engineers, but also we're making an effort to communicate some of the more abstract technical concepts to everyday people who maybe don't have engineering degrees. Um, we've had Craig Scarborough on there. Um, we've had Red Bull eSports driver Marshall Kiefer on there. We've had uh, uh, Blake uh, Brake, who's kind of know him, who's a former track side race engineer for Red Bull. Um, and we recently had the uh, head of vehicle dynamics at McLaren, uh, Mike Law, on the podcast. So it's very good. We've had some great conversations there. And if people are more interested in the technical side or just learning more about it, I'd recommend our podcast. Man, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And and you had so much great insight. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, Bryson Sullivan, who knew you would know? So no, you're incredible. Thank you so much. Milana, do you want to talk to us about George Russell? Oh, I'd love to talk about George Russell. I've been keeping an eye on that boy since I saw him get into F1. I did not I did not know much about his background while he was younger, but there is an incredible photo out there where you see him standing behind Lewis Hamilton while Lewis was part of McLaren. So McLaren, so he was Lewis was already in Formula 1 at the time. Do you know this photograph, Gabrielle? How, how how old is George right now? He's he's um, twenty four, I believe. Yeah, he's okay, around. So he was he's born, in his early twenties. He was born in ninety eight. Uh, Lewis was born in eighty five. So yeah. so yeah, Lewis is like a uh, 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 so he's somebody that he, you know yeah. he was looking up to him. So it's almost like how Lewis was looking up to Ayrton Senna. We had George that had books and everything ready. And there's this photo that he was ready to have Lewis sign the the books. He he was holding books on Lewis Hamilton, and you see him. He's really short, and he's standing right there. And you would never even guess that that was him at that time. And uh, Lewis is standing there with a little bit more of his back towards um, George Russell. 
So we encourage you to take a look and, and, uh, see i mean google it you can we'll put that on our instagram is what we'll do yes. we'll, we'll put we'll, yeah we'll put these pictures on our instagram and you can go check it out uh it's one of my favorite be- photos between the two of them to be honest like it just it gives me goosebumps i get goosebumps with with all this kind of stuff happening that's beyond the dreams that you have as a child you know um tell me about george russell tell me about so he's from king's lynn uk he's he actually started his karting uh, career as a child of the age of seven, and then he advanced into junior categories when he was a teenager. So he started at a very young age, and he was signed to the Mercedes Young Driver Program after he sent Toto an email with his CV in it. Yeah, do you want to tell the story? I don't know how deep you want to go, but I just I kind of um, want to say that there's a very interesting parallel going on there with sending literally a CV to the head honcho the same way in terms of preparation, the same way that uh, Lewis did with Ron Dennis. So, yeah, it just reminds me of what happened with Lewis having the balls. I would say it's like this, this like almost um, there's like no qualms about it. I'm going straight for my, my target and I'm going to let them know what I want. That's pretty much Shoot it. Your you know? shot kid, man. Like, yeah. They both yeah. did that. And you know, now they're teammates, but I love the fact that even George Russell did that. He was the 2018 FIA formula two champion and the 2017 GP three series champion driving for art in both campaigns. So uh, Gabrielle, can you just jump in regarding GP3 and is it ART or ART as a new fan? I think it's ART. I've always heard it said ART, okay. but you know. It's, it, so um, what's the GP3, would you say? So he was in that for 2017. He was a champion in GP3 series. For context, so it's like the minor leagues of of formula racing that not everybody who goes into racing cars gets to go into Formula One. Um, only the best of the best get to go from GP3 or now it's called Formula 3 because uh, things names change. But it's it's Formula 3, then you go to Formula 2, and then if you're really good in Formula 2, then you go to Formula 1. No, no, no. You um, better hope you get into Formula 1. Yeah, you better hope you, <laughs> you get into Formula 1. You don't just go in there. There's 28 seats. <laughs> yeah, so that doesn't always happen. And sometimes you don't have money, but you're better than somebody else and they get in and you don't. Anyway, George Russell... 2017 he's in gp3 it's his first year in gp3 he wins the championship that's not easy that's a difficult thing to do as a rookie because you know you come into this championship you're not used to the cars you're driving against uh, other people who have been driving the series before they're used to the cars they're used to the tires they're, they've done this before but george russell came in first season in gp3 one wow. 2018 graduates from formula three or or GP three to doing formula two also one same sort of thing. He's driving against people who have done this before and he's a rookie and he wins. So he's, that's not a common thing for people to do. There's very few drivers that actually go in and win both F three and F two as a rookie. And, and so that's kind of like the, the he's, he's seen as rarefied talent. Uh, he's like one to watch and Mercedes sells their they they make their cars they also make engines and they sell their engines to various other teams one of those teams is Williams so George was coming up into F1 uh, uh through the Mercedes Young Driver program so these are um drivers who have signed to to 
to be part of the Mercedes program or be like Mercedes affiliated. Um, and so Williams is a, a team that was buying engines from Mercedes. And as part of their contract, often with, te- with teams that are customers of, of, of engines from major engine suppliers, they will, as part of the contract, they will take a driver from the young driver program of that team and put them in their car driving an F1. I love that. And you have the junior academies for, you know, Red Bull as well and Ferrari. So they're all Red Bull, Ferrari, Renault, McLaren has junior drivers. Uh, but I think that the main ones are Mercedes. Uh, basically, anyone who's making engines, generally, they're also going to have a junior academy because they're also going to be tied to a major auto manufacturer a lot of times. And and yeah. And so what's interesting <laughs> with so we go back to the business mindset. So if we're looking at the parallels with Lewis and George Russell, thinking business-wise as well, um, I feel like Russell also was a form of a prodigy in that he was thinking about ways to get around more creatively um, to communicate how badly he wants to be an F1. So what I love about him, and this is one of my favorite things, and you guys will start seeing it come up uh, sometimes in memes or sometimes in videos and stuff, but um, following his Formula 2 championship win, Russell created a PowerPoint presentation for Williams to discuss why they should take him on as a driver. (laughs) A PowerPoint presentation. This is my favorite. I love it. This this is like my one of my favorite F one memes. Yeah. Is the George Russell PowerPoint meme. That's what it is, and they still talk about it. It's like which other driver did a PowerPoint presentation, huh? Huh? Well, no, no one. <laughs> exactly. And then you have Lewis who who said, "In nine years, I'm going to race for you." Well, in here, it's like this is why I will race for you, and this is what you're going to get from me if you take me on as your driver. For Williams. So he makes a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> to present to an F1 team saying, hey, you should sign me as your driver. Yes. Man, that's, that's hilarious. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, when I think of PowerPoint now, I just my mind just goes straight to George Russell. I don't even think about school. <laughs> I don't think about work, nothing, you know? <laughs> Man, PowerPoint, Microsoft PowerPoint should should sponsor the Mercedes yes! F1 team and put George put George Russell in their ads. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That would be brilliant. That would be brilliant synergy because he brings up PowerPoint yeah. quite a few times. <laughs> and and, and you know, F one is entirely for the purpose of marketing and accomplishes literally zero other things for people. It's just for marketing. What did the other drivers do that was so creative and and business savvy at the same time? You know, it's like. Uh, and the way he presented it, he didn't really need much. It's just like PowerPoint. Here you go. These are my stats. This is my information. It's it's like uh, letting them know why he should be their driver. It's not like, please pick me. I hope you guys can pick me, figure out all the statistics about me, and then maybe hopefully you'll pick me. It's like, no, no, no. This is why you will pick me. I mean, there's a graph. I'm sure he had graphs, oh, line graphs, yeah. bar graphs. Telemetry, um, <laughs> just like telemetry data, yeah, everything and <laughs> everything that he's been doing, yeah. So he's like he presented basically his CV, his resume, right? And yeah. they were blown away at that time that because no other. I wonder if there was a PowerPoint CV in the email he sent to Toto. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> I don't know. Well, oh, I don't know. Maybe he's. Oh, maybe he should teach people how to do this. 
PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, so that- get him on Masterclass. You see Lewis Hamilton on, on Masterclass, but it'll be George Russell like doing Masterclass. And here's how you do a good PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> he's not going to be talking about like championship mentality. He's going to be talking about PowerPoint presentation could get you really far in life. <laughs> well, and it did for him. Like it worked. And you know what? If he had the answer, if, if they hadn't picked him yet, he already had a no. So what's wrong with you know, just adding a little more oomph to what you want to get. The, the best you, you get can that get. Little flavor. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And the best you can get is a yes. And cause you already, you're starting with a no anyway. And he knew that. So he's hoping for the yes and he got the yes. So, you know, from formula two, from formula two, we're getting to Williams now and he let them know why they should take him on as, as a driver. So, he signed for Williams in 2019, making his debut at the 2019 Australian Grand Prix. I mean, Australian Grand Prix, that's huge. And he achieved his first F1 podium with Williams at the 2021 Belgian Grand Prix. So we're bringing it back to Europe. Yeah, I should mention this. Like in 2019 and 2020, uh, Williams were like, they were the worst team they were so bad they were explain like like, why what was the main do you think the main cause uh, for that because they used to be pretty amazing that senna drove them yeah i mean we'll we'll get into this when we talk Talk about about william okay yeah um but but they weren't doing well at the time and that's for sure that's a fact no so like i mean historically speaking in like the 80s and 90s williams were one of the best teams they were like top 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 of the pile they were they they were so good at designing cars. They had like advanced technology. They had advanced like they they were so far ahead of everyone else. And then really, what ended up happening, I think, on one hand, the way that the sponsorship model and the way that the sport generated money changed, so it became more difficult for a privateer team that wasn't affiliated with a major auto manufacturer to be successful. And also, there were some internal problems like that gave them success but covered up a lot of the internal problems that were going on at the team because they were being successful because they had other things that were superficially looking really good and it just kind of fell apart around that but basically by the time we get to 2019 um and and 2020 williams are not a good f1 team they are the worst f1 team and they're having all sorts of problems and and so this would be a a backmarker concept, right? If we're talking yeah. about teams, this would be a backmarker team. If we see them in the in the last five wins or the last five teams to be, um, you know, getting to the checkered flag. Um, I don't think they even scored a single point in 2019 or yes. 2020. Yeah. They went two years without having a single result in which they're, they finished in... No, in 2019 they did score a point. Robert was that Kubica scored. Was it in in in, in Germany in uh, 2019 when they had that crazy wet race where everyone crashed? <laughs> Do you remember yeah. that one? Yeah. Um, it was on Drive to Survive. It was the one where uh, Mercedes in like season two, I think Mercedes painted. No, yeah, yeah, Mercedes painted their cars to be like all like vintage throwback, and it was the German Grand Prix, and it was really rainy, and then they like and everybody crashed like literally everybody crashed except for like three people and williams managed to put one of their cars in the top 10 and score a point 
But in 2020, they didn't score any points. So their their team was just not good. He was at Williams for three years. He was at Williams for 19, 20, and 21. The first two years, he did not score any points in F1. And it was it was a really difficult time for him because he was trying really, really, really hard. And he was working really, really hard and performing really, really well. And he was still at the back because the car wasn't very good. And that's where he learned to drive a car. You know, it's almost like his talent was bigger than the car itself. That's where he learned to drive a car that can he he extracted everything he could from that car, uh, even if the car couldn't match, you know, anywhere near what the other teams were, where the other teams were at. Um, And I think this is something that we're going to talk about when it comes to Mercedes, because the fact that he extracted everything out of a box is what my friend says. Uh, That's one way of putting it. um, One of my friends says that's the reason he did so well in 2022. We'll we'll discuss that in a second. So, I mean, that's, that's a very valid point. I think there's something to it. And then in 2021, there it was the Hungarian Grand Prix because a bunch of people crashed out because Valtteri Bottas crashed into everybody. He went bowling fully. <laughs> yeah, they, they call it Bottas bowling was, is the reference that he, he like literally one car just it, it was a rainy race. And in, in the rain, these cars, they crash all the time. Botas just crashed into a bunch of people right at the start of the race. And George Russell, because he was in the Williams, which was a terrible car, was behind Botas. So he didn't get crashed out of the race. But then, you know, he managed to hold on and there were people behind him trying to overtake him. And he was able to put in a really good result for his team and score points. And it was, you know, it was a very emotional, you know, it, Oh, pandemonium, pandemonium for him and extremely emotional. So you can even, if you guys want to look into any YouTube clips, you can actually see the interview of him just in complete shock um, that he scored more than crying. Yeah, he was crying. And and there's, there's something to be said about the fact that he's a, I would say prodigy from a young age. Um, He's got the business mind. Um, He's putting his heart and soul into a car that, underperforms every like he's his talent is bigger than the car on top of everything else and then on top of that uh we see the logical side of him with powerpoint and then we start seeing the emotional side and there's something so beautiful to, to see everything come together with him and i would also say that that's kind of like parallel with lewis like lewis has all those other interests around him he's you know, logical, rational when it comes to racing and what he does. But then on the outside, he's got that creative side and emotional side too. So there's something really beautiful and um, uh, prodigy sort of, I would say, essence around George Russell as well. With the weight personally, I've been watching George evolve uh, from Williams to where he is now. Um, Just watching how calculated he is. There is something behind him. I mean, he's got this like nice British upper, like stiff upper lip with him. And he's, he's very um, straightforward with the journalists and media and everything, but he is a beast when he puts that visor like down, like when he's ready to race, he's not there to play around. He's there. He knows his purpose. 
Um, and he's there to go balls to the wall <laughs> and nobody around him. It, it's, he's not intimidated by anyone around him, even though we can see that cute little picture of him when he's little trying to get like Lewis's autograph or something. Um, there's, there's some sort of menace within him that I think can rival um, some of the best drivers on the grid. I think that's a great point. I'm going to uh, use that to transition to a, th- his first real chance to challenge uh, up at the front, which was in in Bahrain of 2020. George Russell was the he was driving for Williams uh, it was his team, but he was also part of the Mercedes Junior program. in In 2020 in Bahrain, Lewis Hamilton contracted coronavirus, uh, could not race. So Toto Wolff called George Russell to go from racing for Williams to racing for Mercedes. In Lewis's car. In Lewis's car. Qualified on the front row in a car that he wasn't used to. Performed very well in the race. Was able to, uh, he, he qualified on the front row. His teammate Valtteri Botas qualified ahead of him. So Botas qualified in first Russell qualified in second. Um, Yeah, but Russell qualified like 0.002. Like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, like right there. Thousands of a second. Thousands of a second, which is incredible. Yeah, right there. With his teammate in the car that he wasn't used to, went past his teammate on the track to take the lead. But unfortunately, there was a bad pit stop where they messed up what tires were going on his car, and he ended up not scoring points. And he ended up going to the back of the grid uh, after having to make an additional pit stop and losing a bunch of time, but was able to recover from this, fight his way through the field and pass a bunch of other cars and finish in ninth place in this race, which is a good result considering everything that went against him. And if there hadn't been that mistake that wasn't his fault, you know, he very likely would have won that race. Yeah. And he uh, even had had a tire puncture. Like the tire puncture was definitely not his fault. And none of that was his fault. And, and the, his reflexes, once the race started, he was right ahead of Botas instantly. Like we're talking about Botas that was already racing for Mercedes several years. I think, what was it? Four years at that point, five years altogether. I mean, this, this man has been racing with Mercedes. He's a driver with Lewis. Lewis gets COVID. Russell gets called in last second. And he literally jumps from what I, what my friend calls a box, which is Williams into the best car on the grid and is ready to go within that reflex of a, like cat reflexes within a second. And, um, he, he almost by those zero, I think it was 0.002 milliseconds. Um, he could have gotten the, the beast actually was shown on track and we got to see it and, and everyone got to see who we were dealing with. This was so cool because for years and years and years, we'd been hearing, oh, George Russell, he's the next big thing in F1. And he'd been in Williams and you couldn't really tell whether or not he was good because he was racing in the worst car. And people were like, is George Russell that good? Well, we don't know because he races for Williams. And just like I was saying with Lewis, as soon as you get into a car that can compete, if you're competing and if you're like putting in good results and challenging, as soon as you get into a good enough car, that is how we can tell whether or not you are are one of the best of the best. And Russell did that right away. And it was just really cool to see as a fan that you get to see this guy who people have been like, 
hyping and hyping and hyping, but no one had really seen what he was capable of. They gave him the shot and he delivers right away. And what could have, they, you know, even even the people that are against Lewis winning all the time or people that are against Mercedes, like that was an eye opener for everybody at that point. Like that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Because I mean, I mean, back then I was just like, man, I hope maybe Max can win this one because I was really rooting for Max at that time because mm-hmm. um, he was, you know, he was an underdog at the time. Um, oh my God. Everyone likes to see an underdog take their, yeah. But this was like under underdog from Williams. When Russell came in and <laughs> did that, I and did that overtake. I can't lie. I was cheering. I was so pumped. I, I was really excited. It was really difficult because he was doing so well. And then a couple of things that really weren't his fault went against him and he didn't end up winning, but he was doing really well. And everyone just took notice. Everyone just saw, okay, Russell is the guy that everyone says he is. And um, I think he would have won, to be honest. Well, that's my personal thing. Oh, for sure. It, it, it really looked like he would, he, unless something else had happened later in the race that uh, that that had changed it. Like maybe there was a safety car or something. Someone else crashed and somebody got like a, a better strategy call than him or something. I But he was in position to win that race and uh, like on merit. And it, it, it really wasn't his fault. But let's, let's talk about his time at Mercedes. Uh, now he got that first drive at Mercedes. Uh, and he did so well and performed really well also in the 2021 season uh, that Toto Wolf signed George Russell to drive for Mercedes in 2022. Full time, baby. Full time. Full time teammate with Lewis Hamilton. Replacing um, Botas. And then Botas moved to um, Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Alfa Romeo, Sauber, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> we'll get into um, that later. But We'll yeah. get into that later. So unfortunately, the Mercedes car in 2022 was not very good. So we can go into that. Um, So another thing I want to mention about Russell is everyone started calling him Mr. Saturday because qualifying is on Saturday and he always delivered like he would he be on like what was he on? Like, would he be on pole? Like, what was he? What was the Mr. Saturday reason? Right. Because the Williams car that he was in was a bad car. Mm-hmm. It was it was not a good race car. Um, as in, like when it came to race day, it it would wear out its tires really quickly, or it just didn't have the downforce to keep the grip levels. It just didn't have pace for an extended period of time. But it was capable if you got everything in the right window, the tires the right temperature, the brakes the right temperature. It could do a decent lap time. And George Russell was really good at getting it to do a decent lap time and qualifying probably better than that car deserved to be qualified. So people, he got kind of this reputation of being a guy that would do really well in qualifying. And then when the race started, he would get immediately overtaken because his car was so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So that reputation was Mr. Saturday ultimately. Yeah, they call him Mr. Saturday. Yes. And he was always like, it's, it's fine that you can call me Mr. Saturday, but I would rather be Mr. Sunday, <laughs> you know, cause I, I'd rather win a race than get pole. Right. Uh, for, so for he, qualifying. Yeah. He'd rather yeah. win a race. So, but now he's called Mr. Consistency. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, ultimately basically, um, this is where we're going to get into the concept of the cap, which I don't want to delve into deeply, but Mercedes was used to in a nutshell spending around 400 million for their entire team to build both cars. 
other teams like Haas did not have that much money or Williams, for example, maybe would spend what 150 million or something like that. So, um, but this cost cap came about just to see, let's see what happens. How creative can the engineers and technicians and, um, aerodynamicists and, you know, the, the, the wind tunnel experts, engineers, how can, how can they be creative within the same budget? So that way teams like Williams or Haas, um, could potentially deliver, if not better than Mercedes, who was recently spending 400 million following season got cut down to 140 million. Right. So, um, Mercedes was ready to go. They were ready to go for, um, they want. They thought that they were going to be the best anyway because everyone had a target on their back. But uh, what happened was, is Mercedes came out with cars that underperformed. Everyone had the highest expectations for Lewis, hopefully to win his eighth title. When he got in that car, I mean, sometimes he qualified P16, so place six. It was so yeah, bad. It was really bad. Do you remember when you first saw the Mercedes uh, W13 at winter testing? Mm. When they, it was a weird looking car because they, yes, usually because they like unveiled. If, yeah, that's right. They unveiled all their different types of models that they created out of that budget, right? Yeah. So what what happened was. They, they went to new aerodynamic regulations. Now, usually if you look at an F1 car, uh, you'll see air intakes along the side of the car, like next to where the drivers are. And those are usually called the side pods is, is what is what they're referred to. And what do those do? What do the side pods they're, do? I mean, air intakes on one on one hand, they're air intakes for cooling the engine. On the other hand, they are also there to deflect air outside of the car so that it, it doesn't um get drag so that, yeah so there isn't as much drag uh around the rear tires mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of just like weird aerodynamic concepts on there mercedes car ba- mercedes basically built a car that had really narrow air intakes because their cooling was so good and they said well because our air intakes are so narrow why don't we make a car that doesn't have side pods so that we can uh, have less drag in a straight line stands to reason. And they came out with this car. They showed up to winter testing in, uh, in Bahrain with this car and everyone saw it and thought, Oh, they might've like, they might really be onto something. I don't know how we can compete with this because, because it looked radically different from every single other car on the grid. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, if you look at the 2022 Mercedes versus like the 2022 Red Bull or the 2022 Ferrari, Oh, especially bird's eye view. You can see a complete difference. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, 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 it, it, it's shocking. Like how different these cars can be. And everyone saw that and they thought, oh man, this Mercedes car is really good. It's like, it's, they've, they've thought of something that no one else thought of. This is the trick. This is what's going to get them, uh, that world championship. They're going to walk away with it. Turns out no one else thought of it because it was a bad idea. Oh and my God. It was, yeah. <laughs> I love how you said that. <laughs> It was not a good, yeah, it was not a good car. Like uh, (laughs) it it was, it was, it was a terrible car. Would you call Um, it a mid car at this point or back marker? How would you define it? Oh, it was, it was mid for the first part of the season. Like they were, they were finishing outside the points or they were finishing like P10 to P8 sometimes, but they were like, they, they clawed it back by the end of the season. 
Because they learned as they went. And that was also a shock to Lewis Hamilton fans, seeing Lewis in this car that he cannot outperform, right? But in the meantime, what's happening at the front is Mr. Sunday uh, that he wanted to be is turning into Mr. Consistency. He kept qualifying within the same car within the top five positions. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say within the top. So he would be P4, P3, However he qualified and however he won the race, it was always in the top five, I would say. Um, to win within the top three, he was on podiums. He outscored his teammate, which is Lewis, throughout the entire season. Although That's crazy. Yeah, uh, the entire season. And, that, and we're talking about a seven-time world seven-time world champion, okay? And he's out-qualifying him. And he is technically a rookie at Mercedes. Like, this is his first year. So so there's another parallel, I would say, Gabriel. Would you say it's something like how it was with Alonso versus uh, Lewis, in a way? Lewis, like, show, like sure. shining? Well, here we have Russell, who is, yeah. I would say, used to um, driving Williams, which was not a good car. And suddenly we have the Mercedes coming out, which is also not a good car, but he knew how to extract as much as he could from a, a bad car in a way. Well, there are, there are some mitigating circumstances. I would say is that, um, what Lewis Hamilton fans will tell you. And I do think that they have a point is that George was running consistently, but not at the front. So he would finish, you know, in fifth, sixth place, sometimes third place if he had a really good race. But he he would do pretty well and just execute. Whereas Hamilton would try extreme setup choices on his on either like how much downforce he was using on the car or what their ride height was going to be or suspension softness or harshness, things like that. They were just like throwing everything at the wall, trying to get this car to perform at the front. And Lewis was really the guy that they were using as like a test mule in the races for those uh, uh, setup choices. So Lewis would often be sent out into the race with a setup choice that was making the car worse and making the car slower, but he w- they were just trying because at that point they knew he, he's not going to get his eighth. So they said, okay, well, let's keep testing as we go. And we're going to know more by 2023. We'll, we'll come back. Yeah. And in any like scientific experiment, you want uh, like a test and you want to control. So like you have one that you just run normal and then you have one that you're like trying something weird to test against it and get different results and see how that is. And Lewis was usually the one getting the testing stuff. That being said, George performing even like in the same ballpark as a guy like Lewis Hamilton, like that, that speaks volumes to how good this guy is at, at, at driving. George Russell is a great driver, likes taking a lot of shirtless selfies. Uh, so if you're into that, you can see a lot of pictures of George Russell without a shirt on. And um, let's not forget the calls. Very he tall makes. as well. He's <laughs> very tall. No, I want to talk about him being the president of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Okay. So let's get you know, into that. The- yeah, so Grand Prix Drivers Association is an organization made up of all of the racing drivers basically to talk about safety or talk about, you know, whatever is going on in in it's like a, a group it's like the union of F1 drivers is uh 
is is how I would describe it. So if there's like FI, if the FIA or Liberty wants to make a decision and the drivers feel that that negatively affects them, then the Grand Prix Drivers Association will say, this is how we feel about this. And, and they will represent the drivers. George Russell um, in his fourth season uh, as an F1 driver is the president of this. And so that just kind of goes to show how much the other drivers on the grid respect George Russell, his talent, his uh, willingness to be an even handed kind of guy who will represent the interests of racing drivers and, and people like him, people trust him. Yeah. And you would, you would think Hamilton would be ahead, you know, on something like that. Someone that, but you got, yeah. you know, George Russell heading it. Well, before him, I think it was Sebastian Vettel was one of the guys on it. Yeah. Yeah. So people, people really, uh, people really respect George Russell. I think that's enough of what we have to say about George Russell. We are going to go to an interview that we recorded with Emma, who runs the George Russell fans 63 underscore Instagram account, which is a great Instagram account. If you are a George Russell fan, you can go there and see George Russell fan content. But she agreed very kindly to come on the show and talk about what it means to be a George Russell fan and what George Russell means to her. We hope that you guys enjoy this interview. We had a lot of fun. All right, everybody. We are here. We are back. We are here with Emma Brain. Um, she is a George Russell fan. She runs the uh, the the Instagram account George Russell Fans sixty three. How you doing today, Emma? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm having a marvelous day. Uh, uh, we're just really excited to talk to you. We're excited to talk about George because he's an exciting driver. He really is. Yeah. Um, so do you want to maybe give everybody a little bit of your background, uh, how you got into F1 um, for, for all the nice people who are listening? Yeah. So I started watching F1 when I was about three years old with my parents. Um, it's something that we sort of bonded over. Um, and then it's I've sort of grew up with it. And then when I was about 10, 11, in the UK, it was considered like not very girly to like, cars and things at that time um so i sort of fell out of love with f1 um and then a few years went by and um i saw lewis join f1 and i thought oh okay maybe i'll get back into it and then i did and um and then i started following i started watching like the later series is like f2 f3 gp3 um and that's when i actually found george so you've been following george ever since he was in the junior series yeah yeah, and um, awesome. I think he's such a talented driver. He, he's calculated, uh, but he's very smart in what he does. That's really awesome. And so it's just been like lifelong for you. Yeah, definitely. He, he's, he's one of these guys that I think a lot of people will get on board on so easily with. If, if I were a new F1 fan and I were just getting into this sport now, uh, do you want to maybe give me a pitch about why I should support George Russell? I think George is, I think George is very, uh, he's, he comes over like a genuinely nice guy um, and that he actually cares about everyone on, on the grid and, and off the grid as well. I mean, I've seen him meeting up with fans and, and doing things with fans that he, other drivers may not do. Um, and I think it's just, you know, he's a very personable guy. Um, he is such a talented driver. I mean, you, you don't get a seat in F1 
without being a talented driver and it and it shows through his four well coming up to five fifth season in in f1 now that he has been so easy to get to that point I'm, I'm not easy i don't mean easy in that sense but he he's made what he has of f his opportunities in in the junior series and and in f1 definitely so Emma, what what was it that stood out for you when you were watching the junior series? Like, did you know that he was going to be that good, and and did you know that he was going to reach F one? I I didn't. I think for a little while it was a bit like, oh, who's this person? And and it like he caught my interest straight away. I mean, I thought definitely thought he would get into F one. I didn't know when, but it was. <laughs> I think he definitely. It was a, a definite point that he was going to get into F one, and I'm you know. 2019 2020 when he signed with Williams I think was a massive point for him when you were watching the junior series is there like a moment when you saw George Russell and you immediately thought this is the guy this is the guy who I'm going to follow this is the guy who I'm going to support I think it was like um GP3 F3 um where he sort of was starting to win a lot of the time and I thought okay he's definitely one to watch out for um, and I think at that point, you know, when he got into F2, um, uh, and, I mean, I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts of his and he's, he's so open about his journey into like F2 and F1. I mean, he emailed, you know, Toto saying, can I have a seat with you? Can I be with you guys? And I think he was about 15, 16 when he did that. And that's, He's got the audacity and the tenacity to be able to do that. Not not many people would. That's sort of a killer instinct that you need to be successful in this sport. Absolutely. Do you feel like you're more connected to George because he's British and you're British? I think maybe, yeah. I think there are some people that, uh, I, other people that I do like on the grid, like I loved Seb, I loved Dan, um, and I loved Mick. Maybe Mick because of who his dad was. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, maybe with George it is because we're British, but I also think he's an awesome guy and so talented. Well, he is an easy guy to root for. I would definitely say he is an easy guy to root for. Um, so when, when you saw him actually, um, doing something like that, I love that you said the, you know, it, it is very confident that he did that of all people to reach out to Toto Wolf. So he had, uh, he's always been a Mercedes like young driver um, and he did some test cars in what was Force India um, back in 2017 um, and then he did some like Mercedes young driver testing as well um, and I think Ms. Williams has always been this kind of, I don't want to label it as a Mercedes B team but it essentially it is because I mean they, they put George in the car, um, they have Mercedes uh, engines and other bits of pieces from Mercedes um, and I think it was just a case of he, they wanted to give him a seat just to try and see what he was like in it and I think they definitely like he had a three-year contract with Williams you don't get a three-year contract for not being very good if you know what I mean <laughs> and I, I do like the things that you said about uh, about him being a really good person off the track because you know all these f1 drivers you know when they're when the visor is down they have to be absolute killers don't they they have to just be ruthless and 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 vicious to each other but then when that comes off they have to be able to transition back into being like a a, a decent human yeah i mean he's he's 
like he's racing against Alex and Lando and Charles, who are four of his best, three of his best mates. Um, and him, Alex and uh, Lando all came up through like F2 together. So you and and there's times where you you see them on the track or on the parade walk and everything, and they're they're so like I know they all have to be really chummy with each other, um, but I think those three sort of drift to each other every time something happens, and whenever you sort of see tweeting or posting on social media in some way, they all like it, like like it, they all comment on it. You know, it, it's one of those things where I think knowing that they're all friends makes them more personable to everybody else. Yeah, and they were also doing all those Twitch streams together uh, during the pandemic, and that was really fun to watch. Yeah, that um, yeah, there was and actually I've got a story there. Um, so we got plunged into um, lockdown in the UK at the end of March in 2020. We were told, "Oh, it's only going to be three weeks. It'll be fine. Three weeks, it's over." Three weeks turned into six. Six weeks turned into twelve, and before we knew it, it was like. June, July, and and we were still in lockdown, and uh, I got, I got really, I got into a really dark, dark place. Um, and my my friend was like, oh, you know, there wasn't much we could do because we couldn't talk to each other about anything, we couldn't see each other. And um, one of my friends was like, oh, your favorite F one drivers on Twitch, and she was just scrolling through one day i was like all right and i was like oh give it a give it a watch and i like every day i was crying and i was crying but with laughter because it was just so hilarious and it was alex george and lando and charles just all streaming and i just remember that i just sat there and i was so excited like I was so sad when the stream ended, but I was so excited because I'd be like, oh, yeah, we're coming back tomorrow. We're coming back the next day or we're coming back in a couple of days, whatever. And I would just sit and I would wait for it to happen and I would watch every single one. Um, and even now when I'm on, like, really dark days, I will I will go back and watch it. <laughs> that's really That's really sweet. I really love that story. Um, and I do think that a lot of people kind of underestimate the effect that... Uh, that really just having an inspirational figure or just somebody who you feel like you can connect to, even if you don't know them personally. Yeah. I, I, I think with also with George, because he comes over in anything that he does with that sweet nature. I think a lot of people are more uh, able to sort of grab hold of him and sort of take him, you know, in their arms and be like, you're, you're my person, if that makes sense. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people did get into F1 over the pandemic just by the nature of the fact that it was one of the first sports to come back and actually start having having uh, events, having competition during the pandemic. I was pretty sad when the uh, when you got to Australia and there was no racing. Because for me, especially with Australia, it's the first sort of race of the year. You knew that F1 was coming. You knew it was going to be a fun season sort of sad that they changed it to, to a couple of weeks after the season started but you know <laughs> we get there <laughs> when they call him mr saturday or when they call him now mr consistency or um sometimes mr sunday now so um what was it you know when it comes to those sort of memes for 
uh, new fans to look out for. What would those mean uh, when they call him those? Because do you want to just give a little a little roundup on on what uh, those mean for for the new fans? So, so Mr. Saturday was because he always consistently uh, performed really well in qualifying. Um, when let's be honest, last year's William, Williams car wasn't really up to it. Even this season and past seasons, it's not really up to it. But he's been able to sort of get in that mindset of going in and doing the job. Um, Mister Consistency at the moment is because he was consistently in the top five for most of this season. I think there was only like one race where he wasn't, which was um, Silverstone, because he had that best opening lap crash with uh on you what's it like um to watch your favorite driver kind of being in a, a team with a car that isn't very good when you know that they can do so much better it was difficult um because you know you, you want to see your driver performing well every week you know um and it you know seeing someone as talented as george was really difficult because you know you know what they've got. You know that the talent they've got, but they can't do it because of the car. Um, I mean, one of my highlights uh, was from last year was actually Spa when it was raining and he got pole for about two seconds, and then Max took it and he started second. He said himself that weekend the cars, both his and Nicholas's car, should have been eighteenth and nineteenth, but because of his we- the weather. And his talent in wet weather, he put it up to a P2, which nobody expected. Yeah. So how I want to know, how over the moon were you when George finally got his first race win this year in Brazil? I cried. (laughs) (laughs) I I will be honest. I cried last year in Hungary when both him and Nicholas got their first point. Especially for George, because he'd been working so hard for like two and a half, three years. You know, the disappointment that was coming um, every week with it, you know, getting passed by and and stuff. But yeah, this year, I thought, sprint race, brilliant. He's done it. He's got a win. All right, it's not a Grand Prix win. You know, it's got a race win, but we'll take it. And then when he smashed it on Sunday, on the Sunday, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. Yeah, the, uh, it it was it was a great win. It's kind of a shame that it was overshadowed by other drama. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but even I mean, with the emotions that go on, like what I also love about George uh, is um, even when he was in Williams, what was it that he was crying about? Because there is footage constantly coming up in social media where you see him just like in shock and crying. So if new fans see something like that, what was that in relation to? Um, so the one where he's sort of like clutching his calf and he's crying afterwards is because of the, the, the points that he got in, what him and Nicholas got in, in the, in Hungary. And I think it was just that he had so, so many years and so many times of disappointment, um, that he actually, I think he was in a bit of disbelief that it actually happened. I think a lot of people were around the time as well. There was a time where Nicholas, I think, was in P3 in that race, and George sent over the radio, compromise my race. I don't care. If if we're going to get P3, just get me in. I'll undercut everybody. 
do what you can to to get as many points as we can. I absolutely loved when that happened. It's almost like he, it, it was the team above everything else. Um, and you can see some sort of humility there. So even though he's a beast behind the wheel, um, to think that quickly and to think of how strategically he can also get his teammate involved with, you know, potentially pushing for even more points. It also shows his teamwork. If we're talking about emotion with George, I mean, it's almost like when I watch him, it's hard for him to hold back a little bit. So there's that other photo that does go around that new fans may see of him lying down on the grass, um, looking totally gutted. Uh, Would you like to explain just a little more context around what happened there as well? And we'll put these photos up on our Instagram so you can see them. Yeah, so that was um, the Sakia race in 2020, um, which I was ecstatic about. I was so happy um, that he was getting an opportunity to, to drive the Mercedes. Did you know that? Did you know that Toto was going to pick him out of all of the other drivers to jump into <clears throat> Lewis's car? I genuinely thought it was going to be a reserve driver, um, but I know that being a Mercedes driver and the potential of George getting into that Mercedes at some point in his future, I think it was a case of Toto wanting to throw him in at the deep end, literally. Because he was only, you know, he was told on the Tuesday for the Friday. So I, I think Toto, Toto played it well. He did a test with George, whether it was make him or break him. I think it definitely, definitely made him. It, it was one of his starting points to getting into Mercedes. So also during that time, that was actually when Lewis caught COVID. So he was actually sick. He only had so much to prepare for it, right? So they had to probably build a new chassis for him to make sure um, he can fit into Lewis's car. And No, his, he didn't fit. Did you know this? I didn't know about actually- the chassis. No, he, didn't, he didn't fit at all. Oh, I know about the shoes. Like, Yeah, I- no. So Lewis is, I think he's like, five foot seven or something um i'm not and and george is six foot two there is a height difference lewis has also got sort of i think it's like size nine feet and george has got size 11 so he had to go to the size 10 uh shoe which is not nice i mean she tried especially the amount of hours they have to wear those shoes for it couldn't have been comfortable for him at all you know what the other fact I heard about this race was? I think it was this race. I think it was George on this race was that uh, on the wheel that he was banging his knuckles against the inside of the of the cockpit and it yeah. like rubbed all the way through and that like when he took his gloves off his his hands were bleeding. Yeah, I remember uh, yeah, I remember that. And I remember him saying that he had like bruises and um welts on his back from where like the the seat was and everything else was. Um, because the car was just too small for him and everything that was in, because it was Lewis's car, everything was just too small for him. What the fans will see, right, is, is his head is almost above, closer to the roll hoop, which is crazy. And the G forces that were taking place in comparison to what Lewis would have felt. I mean, that, that sounded like an extremely painful race for him where he was running on extreme adrenaline in a way. So I love how you said that a lot of people opened their eyes to him during that time. And do you think, um, certain people or that are fans of other drivers suddenly 
became a George supporter, even though they might not be a Mercedes driver or a Mercedes fan? I think so, yeah. I think so. I mean, he said it himself in so many interviews after that race, when he walked into the paddock, you know, the last two races of the season that year, and then from sort of last year, um, a lot of people were acknowledging him a lot more. Um, and I also think he just, I think he just opened everybody's eyes just to how he will perform in a car um, that, you know, will give him the, the wins and stuff. Yeah, because right. when he when he started there, he didn't he jump start and like even in qualifying um, against Lewis's teammate, which is Valtteri Bottas at that time. How what was the margin of their difference at the front row? Twenty six milliseconds. Isn't that insane? Is, is nothing. Wow. I mean, and for he, his just as- for his first time in an F one car, you know, in that certain Mercedes car, um, being far too small for him. You know, having shoes that are too small for him, not knowing anything about that car, to be 26 milliseconds off of pole position is, it's crazy. He almost won that race. He legitimately could have won that race if Mercedes hadn't messed up his pit stop. Yeah, I haven't, I still haven't given Mercedes about that. Um, <laughs> but, I love that. Me too, a little bit. <laughs> but he incredible. had his redemption was- this year, but, you know, it, for, for a team that, has always been not on point with um, pit stops. I thought it was a bit unforgivable what they did that day. How do you feel about his performance this year against Lewis? <laughs> I mean, uh, as a as a George fan, I've loved every second of it, and I I have loved the fact that Lewis has been behind George. Yes, I will give Lewis credit. He has had a lot of uh, testing done on his car in the first half of the season. Um, so you can't really take the first half of the season as a proper um, sort of measurement because Lewis's car was, was doing all these different tests and had different, center, different sensors on them, um, whereas George's didn't. So it's really only after summer break that you can sort of compare the two in their own season, you know, as a season. So if you were going to recommend uh, to, to a new F1 fan, if they were going to go back and watch a few races just to get an idea of who George Russell is as a driver, which races would you recommend? Definitely Secure 2020. I think that just proved exactly who, who George Russell can be in Mercedes. And I think that was the, the sort of starting point of people turning to being his fans as well. Um, I would say Spa from last year because his qualifying lap was incredible. Um, Maybe watch the qualifying. Don't watch the race. Don't watch the race. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I would also say Brazil from this year, uh, both sprint race and the actual race because he has been, he was incredible that weekend. I mean, he's had so many incredible weekends. It's so hard to, to find like three or four especially this season, his, you know, his battles with Max and, and Charles and Lando, it, he's just been, he's been phenomenal. When you see him driving, do you think it's 
it was a bonus for him for the fact that he did drive a Williams. Do you think that helped him specifically to do so well in the Mercedes? I definitely think so. I mean, I'm I'm going to be a bit critical about Lewis. As much as I love him and he got me back into sort of F1 when I, when I was a teenager, because Lewis hasn't had that struggle uh, in an F1 car before, uh, well, not in the sort of like last eight to ten years, Whereas George has, I think George has been able to just push the car like he did with the Williams to the absolute limit. And it, it's definitely, definitely proved that he, his time at Williams, even though he's said that three years was too long, I personally think it has made him a, such a stronger driver because he's had that sort of like heartbreak. He's had that time to sort of go, okay, the car's not right, it's not great but I'll give it everything that I can and I'll leave it all on the track. And if it means I'm exhausted at the end of it, so be it. Um, When it comes to his driving style, what would you say his driving style is in comparison to Max or Lewis or, uh, of course, Lando and Charles that he grew up with? Um, I think he's he's a calculated driver, but that's not, you know, that's not always a bad thing. Yes, he's looked after, he looks after himself sometimes. Like he's made pit stop calls that maybe other drivers wouldn't, but uh, and maybe a lot. I know a lot of fans haven't sort of agreed with that. You, you see it all over social media. What is George playing at? Blah blah blah. But he, I think, without being in that headspace of what he needs to do, he's not gonna be up there with the rest of them and and i definitely think this year was a a point of he's got to do his best i think and i think over the years his driving style has changed to be more competitive he has brilliant wheel knowledge um and i think it's just a case of that he he's got a car that's still not great but hopefully next year it will be better and we'll see even more from him. Um, why were people calling him a psychic at some points while he was driving? I think sometimes it was just a good feeling. Um, you know, a, a lot of people have gone, um, let's just hang it out for a safety car and the safety car never happens. But I think with George, he, he, he'll he listen to his engineers to a point, um, as they all do. But I think he knows in his mind what he's got to do to to get that top three win, top you know second win, that first place. And I think that he knows in his mind if the team's not going to make the call, he has to. I love that. And then, do you foresee him eventually being a world champion? Do you see him getting that title eventually? I would love to see him getting that title. Um, He's he's definitely deserving of it. Um, a lot of people might not think so at the moment, but I think he's he's definitely in the front running of the sort of younger end of the the track that we a lot of people would like to see him, especially me, get that world title and hopefully multiple world titles out of it as well. What is it this thing that everyone's talking about when it comes to PowerPoint um, and George? So there is this. Um, I think it was 2019 when him, Lando, and um, Alex all entered as rookies. They did um, a Rookie of the Year 2019 uh, video for F1. And uh, the the one thing, it, it starts with George, and, and it's uh, 
as we all know, I love a PowerPoint presentation. Um, and there's pictures of him sort of growing up in at school, him making PowerPoint presentations. Um, and apparently <laughs> one of the things that he was tempted to do to Toto, if Toto hadn't said, yeah, we'll give you a go, was to go to Brackley or Bricksworth, meet him and show him a PowerPoint presentation of why he should be a Mercedes driver. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And he just goes straight for the simple stuff, but he's got so yeah. much information, you know, and even with, I think it was Claire at Williams that said, she's like, we've never had a driver come in to do a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> yeah. for us. Um, and I'm sure like that must have had, like, he must have stood out just because of that. <laughs> to be fair, I'm surprised that he hasn't done one this, the end of the season, like why I'm, uh, why I'm the greatest in of young drivers in Mercedes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Just to let the other boys know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other meme that is about George is that George Russell is the type of guy to and then fill yeah. in the blank. <laughs> oh, I've, he's reacted to some of those on YouTube um, and on Reddit. It's hilarious. Yeah. So how did that how did that start? And also the concept that he's shirtless constant like what is this like these jokes <laughs> like these jokes that they keep throwing at him so if you can just give us a little context around that as well if people um, see this so the the george russell is the type of guy i i think it just started with like one random tweet one day um and it was like george russell is the type of guy to celebrate it. and it was, i think it was like 2020 um to i think it was george russell was the type of guy to celebrate getting a a seat at Mercedes for the weekend um, and it started from there and it really snowballed this year and it was there's just so many funny things it's like George Russell is the type of guy to say crikey on the radio and and things like that and <laughs> the, like I said there's so many I think it's like George Russell reacts to on YouTube and I think it's on TikTok as well Mercedes TikTok um, yeah it's that's hilarious and the the shirtless thing is i don't know how it started um i think it might have been through the pandemic where he he was because it was quite hot that year during our summer um a lot of people were like oh you know they couldn't go anywhere nobody was gonna see what you were looking like but he just started posting different photos of him shirtless um and there's actually an instagram page um but it's like people are painting shirts on George or like photoshopping shirts on George. Um, and I think it was, I think it was started by Alex Albon, but I'm not entirely sure about that. That's amazing. I love that. They're still keeping up that friendship, you know, off the track and still, you know, poking fun at each other. I think it was even Daniel Ricardo. He was like, um, oh, going back to the, the George Russell is the type of guy. I think he said George Russell is the type of guy that has, that selfishly has two, two names. first names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually it was, it was partly George that got Alex the seat in Williams this season uh, to get him back into F1. So I think that speaks volumes about the type of guy he is as well. I love that. That's true. What, you know what? One of my favorite um, George Russell moments with the shirtless meme, it's become there was one of the uh, the the F one Secret Santa videos where if you go onto YouTube and you search uh, F one Secret Santa, there's there's videos of all of the F one drivers giving each other Secret Santa presents. Oh yeah, and he and, gets a, a 
shirtless top. Yeah. Yeah, he gets a, a shirt. Yeah, do you, uh, I think it was it was Lando or it was Alex. One of those guys gave him a t-shirt with a picture of his own shirtless torso. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't, I I can't remember who it was now, but yeah, it was it was definitely the Alex or Lando, but yeah. <laughs> That just shows how you mentioned, even from the beginning, it's like he's a personable guy. Obviously, he can take a joke. But yeah, once the visor is down, even Gabrielle, how you mentioned, that's it. He's a beast behind the wheel. I mean, and then he comes out. Yeah, he's very humble, too, when he's out of the car. But when he's in the car, it's a menace mode. <laughs> like, he's in menace mode full on. Like oh, 100%. 100%. Well, Emma, I want to say thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, this was a lot of fun. This is a, a great interview, and I think you gave uh, the the people a excellent an excellent uh, view of who George Russell is as a driver. Um, if you want to go and and follow Emma's uh, uh, George Russell fan account, it is George Russell fans sixty three underscore. Right that that's it. Yes, that's it. It is make sure you add the underscore. It is at George Russell fans sixty three underscore. It's, it's it's a good it's it's a good Instagram fan account. Um, it's a good one to follow. That was excellent. That was a fun conversation. I really loved that conversation. It was we just fun, had it. fun, fun, fun. Yeah, I I think that's about it for this episode. So I guess to sum it up, Mercedes, strong team. They have a great team leader in Toto Wolf. They have two drivers, uh, Lewis Hamilton, arguably the greatest of all time, and George Russell, the star of the present slash the future. So really cool team to be a fan of. If you want to be a fan of a team and then support them going forward, very exciting prospect. Milano, who are, we, are we talking about Ferrari next week? We can do Ferrari, yeah, because, I mean, it's it's – a lot of times when I was younger, as soon as someone would mention Formula One, I would just think of Ferrari, Red Car, and Michael Schumacher. So I think it would be good to jump into that for sure. Long history there. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Ferrari, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh... <laughs> we laugh now. We laugh now. Yeah. Oh, man. We'll get into uh, why it... we laugh now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Ferrari. Like, I feel like Ferrari and Mercedes are both very good teams, but they're like polar opposites of each other. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be fun to kind of compare and contrast them to each other. Um, but tune into that episode next week on next Tuesday. Uh, I don't know what day that's going to be uh, of the month because I'm not paying attention to that. But next Tuesday, yeah, tune into that. That's going to be super fun. If you want to follow this podcast on uh on instagram it's house of speed podcast uh, are we on twitter we're house of speed pod on twitter, twitter. or house of speed podcast yeah i can't remember i, think I don't it's know house I of speed. oh my goodness we're just yeah. getting started so we'll, we'll we'll get i think it's yeah. house of speed pod yep on twitter yeah mm -hmm. because they make you have shorter names uh you can follow me on uh facebook and instagram at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n if you're more interested in hearing me talk about cults and other stuff you can follow my other podcast which is called the leaving eden podcast super fun really fascinating listen uh, a lot of fun. Milana, do you want to plug your social media? I'll plug just my Instagram for now. It's my personal Instagram, but I put up stories when um, the race weekends are happening and then the follow-up after the race. So it's just at Milana Jeff Tick. So it's M-I-L 
A-N-A-J-E-V, as in Victor, T-I-C, Milana Jeftic. And um, you'll see more of my personal stuff, but um, I, I love sharing all this information with you guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, can't wait to talk about Ferrari next time. That's going to be fun. Uh, this, is, this was a good one, too. I really, I really like how how we delved into the new driver as a rookie for Mercedes. That's George Russell. I'm really happy about that contrasting um, uh, uh, seven-time world champion. So I really love how we talked about Mercedes, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about Ferrari next. Gabrielle, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Uh, I'll, I'll see you guys next time. It'll be fun. Welcome to the house of speed. Welcome to the house of speed. Welcome to the house.